get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. Shoot, they score. Shifley was there in the middle. Fires from the high slot and in. The Jets off the draw. Shoot it and score with Paul Stastny putting it right to the net. Five minutes left. The Jets shoot. They get it back. Stastny the power play goal. Both defensemen below the goal line on the penalty kill. Stastny, his third point of the game. And the Jets have made it 4-2. to two. And that's going to do it. The Jets are going to beat the Blues by a score of 4-2. to two. Dave Lowry will get his first win as head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. And they hand the Blues a loss in what will be their final game before the Christmas break. That's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, on the call yesterday here on 101 ESPN. Welcome, everyone. A happy Monday. It is BK and Ferrario with Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Celebrate now because it's the final day before BK is back. BK returns tomorrow, ladies Aww. and gentlemen. No. In all honesty, I'm excited to get him back. I'm excited to have our, our full show back together tomorrow. And I'm excited to figure out what the hell he's going to try and figure out to talk about. Because sports right now, there's a lot going on. Right now there is. Tomorrow, maybe not so much. We'll yeah. talk about that in a bit, but... We'll do some Christmas caroling for you guys tomorrow. <laughs> As you heard Curbs mentioned, that was the game that pretty much sends the Blues into the holiday break because tomorrow's game against the Senators postponed Thursday's game against the Maple Leafs postponed. We'll talk about that coming up in just a bit, but an unfortunate event yesterday for the Blues as that point streak was snapped at seven games. The Winnipeg Jets hand the Blues their first regulation loss uh, since that regulation loss against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it's a tough way to look at it, T-Bone, because... One, you were playing 11 forwards and seven defensemen. Sunquist was placed into COVID protocol on Saturday, so you didn't have your 12 forwards and 6D, which has been part of the recipe for success for this Blues team. You also had the kind of overlying threat of going back into the quote-unquote lockdown protocols for the players to where they weren't able to go out on the road or basically sent to their hotel rooms, and from their hotel rooms, they were only allowed to go to the rink. But if you look at the actual product on the ice, that was a tough game for Jordan Bennington. And, and 
Everyone knows Ferrario is the biggest component for Jordan Bennington. I've defended the man from top to bottom. I still think he is a top goaltender in the National Hockey League. Not the, but he is one of the top goaltenders in the National Hockey League when he's on his game. And I kind of limited my expectations for him yesterday because coming out of COVID protocol, hadn't played a game November 30th. Um, I didn't expect to see the Jordan Bennington that we usually see. And I thought he had a decent game. He stopped 30 or 34 shots. There were two goals that there was no chance for him. Like the first one, Nikolai Ehlers, that was a hell of a pass from Paul Stasting in front of the net. But there were also two goals that, as Craig Bruby said afterwards, I'm sure he would have liked to have back. Yeah, I, I thought that was about what I expected from Bennington in terms of what my expectations were. I'm with you. I didn't have like, oh, he's going to have a shutout in his first game back because he's coming off of the COVID list. And I thought two, maybe three weren't his fault. I do think the third one was bad. What's the other one you're referencing? So the, 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 the two, two that behind I'm the net, the two behind the net were not his fault. He got no, hit the two behind the, the net. The, the, oh, the, the one where he skated in. Yeah, I didn't remember. The one where he now. skated in, and then that one from Paul Stastny where he was trying yeah. to get back to the post. And look, that was you got to give credit to Winnipeg. I, I'm a, I'm I'm a true component in the give the team credit for the aggressiveness that they brought in. They shut down the Blues power play. They eliminated that offense. There was nobody getting to the front of the net. But this one for me, there are two elements. Special teams lost you the game. You didn't score in the power play and you gave up that power play after you scored shorthanded, which that was the life the Blues needed. And then they gave up the power play goal after. But look, I also look at Jordan Bennington and I kind of questioned last night, T-Bone, if that was the right decision to go to Jordan Bennington after Charlie Lindgren has done exactly what he did. And I'm not the only one. Joe Vitale had that question as well on the broadcast. Charlie Lindgren has been nothing short of spectacular for this team. It's not necessarily the goalie-to-goalie comparison, but I really think this team played a specific style of game in front of Charlie Lindgren that maybe we didn't see as first in tonight's game. This is no knock on Jordan Bennington. Look at Nikolai Ehlers' opening goal. Point blank, right in front. He's right there. But but some of these goals, I, I think that this Blues team was not showing spurts of, of being this open in front of the hash marks of Charlie Lindgren. The tonight, they unfortunately were uh, for Jordan Bennington. Is that a, a characteristic trait? Is it a personality trait? W- what about this team? Are they playing differently in front of Charlie Lindgren? And how much does this coach, Craig Berube, have to invest in that decision moving forward after this Christmas break? So that is... I mean, that's a pretty impactful comment there. I mean, you do have to look at the way the defense plays in front of Charlie Lindgren compared to what they did against Jordan Bennington. And it was tough last night, too, because the Blues felt like they were in a little bit of a rhythm. If you go back, they had played five. So I'm doing math on the air. They played five straight games with six defensemen. It's no coincidence that those five games, the Blues were pulling out victories after victories after victories with the exception of that overtime loss. So it broke up a little bit of the repetition that this Blues team was used to going with seven defensemen and 11 forwards, but they had no other options in that circumstance. But here's where I get at with this, Sebom. You know how many games Jordan Bennington has given up less than three goals this season? And this is a rhetorical question because I already asked you this on the break and you and know the I answer. Right. You did. He's given up five games with less than three goals. So five of his 17 games this season, he's given up either. Well, I, I, let me do it this way. 12 of his 17 starts this season. He's given up three or more goals. Now they pulled out victories in a lot of those, but he went through a little bit of a stretch where he lost four or five in a row. 
And those were the games that he gave up three, four, five goals. You know how many games Charlie Lindgren has given up more, less, or more than three? The answer to this one, zero. It's a big goose egg. So whether it be the teams playing differently in front of him, whether it be the goaltender just to be a little, on a little bit of a hot streak, I think you had to ride Charlie Lindgren there. And I know why they did it. Bennington's the guy. You got to get him reps at some point. But for right now, I think you have to ride the hot hand. Yeah, I didn't mind going to Bennington in that scenario. I I thought that's what they would do. My my whole thought process was, assuming that the two games weren't going to be postponed, which oh. they have been, was that they were going to go Bennington yesterday, back to Lindgren on Tuesday at Ottawa, and then back to Bennington Thursday at Toronto. That's kind of how I thought they were going to play it. I thought they were going to split the reps between the two. I didn't have an issue going to Jordan Bennington because you have to get him the reps because... As much as I'm in on Charlie Lindgren and he's played very well in five games and it's the first goaltender in Blues history to start 5-0, and I don't know if he's the guy. I don't know if I should expect him to be this good moving forward for the St. Louis Blues. I get it. Ride the hot hand, but I got to get Jordan Biddington right. I ha- Jordan Biddington, when he's right, he can get you to a Stanley Cup final. And if the Blues have Stanley Cup aspirations, it's going to come down to Jordan Biddington getting back into his rhythm and finding his game. In this cut from Joey Vitale that we just played, Something I brought up last week was I wondered how the defense would play in front of Jordan Bennington. For some reason, and I can't put my finger on it, but for some reason they seem to play a little bit more lackadaisical when Bennington's in net compared to when Lindgren, Huso, Hofer, Gillies is in net. They seem to play a tighter game then. I think just part of it is because they go, all right, the number one guy is here. We can be a little more aggressive. We can handle making a couple of mistakes, and he can stop them. Well, I mean, he stopped 30, 34 shots yesterday. There were two bad goals. But he made some big saves. The very first save he made of the game, going uh, pushing off from his left to his right, stopping a breakaway, I believe, in the third period. He made big saves. Big saves. The Blues just played a little bit softer, a little bit more lackadaisical in front of him, and two mistakes behind the uh, the net that we had not seen in the last couple of games. So that's something that I've seen continue while Bennington was before he got onto the COVID list. For some reason, they seem to play a little bit more lackadaisical yeah. when he's in net and it's something that they're going to have to address moving forward because I agree Lindgren's played well and probably should get some starts but you cannot you cannot just put Bennington to the side for now no of course not and T-Bone if you don't mind I dropped a piece of audio in our daily show folder for today Bortuzzo talking about why the team has played well in front of Lindgren I didn't think about this until you just brought that up of why the team's playing lackadaisical in front of him so I, I want people to hear this and then I want to talk about what you just mentioned there here's Robert Bortuzzo when asked yesterday or two days ago I should say why the team seems to be playing better in front of Lindgren I get the sense you know he's a bit of a gamer he plays with intensity and I think that resonates with our group we appreciate that Um, he's brought a ton of great energy to the room and you know comes to the rink with a smile on his face and he's always you know lifting guys up in the room and you know giving guys taps on the shin pads in a team environment that stuff goes a long way and uh you know we're enjoying playing in front of him and we're doing everything we can and blocking shots and trying to play hard in front of him so um and he's played hard behind us so it's you know just been a great relationship there and you know he seems like a bit of a character who's who's just fit in you know nicely with our group and seems to be enjoying himself which you see guys that enjoy coming to the rink it you know goes a long way towards uh you know having a good feeling in the locker room i I know the issue what's that biddington doesn't smile enough or biddington needs to grow the uh the lamb chop sideburns and mustache uh, i don't know if it look good on and i know 
people are going to hear that and be like, oh, well, the Blues don't like playing with Bennington. He's a bad. No, look, don't even start that conversation. That's not what this is. I just think it's just a new energy with Charlie Lindgren. Charlie Lindgren has never had the opportunity to be the goaltender. And now that he has it with the Blues, because look, in Montreal, when he was the guy, it was always, well, you're here until Carey Price is back or you're here until Carey Price is ready to go. Now it's the, yeah, you're here until Jordan Bennington and Ville Husso are back unless you steal the show. And that's what he has done. Do you know what happened in January of 2019, T-Bone, when the Blues brought up Jordan Bennington? Went on a run. Went on a run. And you know what also happened? They didn't play Jake Allen an awful lot because they rode the hot hand. You'd get the guy in every once in a while, but you rode the hot hand. By no means am I saying that Jordan Bennington is no longer the number one goaltender and he needs to take a back seat to Jordan or to Charlie Lindgren. But what I am saying is I do think as of now, you ride the hot hand. Charlie Lindgren has won you five consecutive games. And in those five consecutive games, he has allowed a, a total of five goals. He's a guy that you look at and you say, you know what? I think we have to continue to play this guy. When you win at blackjack T-bone, when you keep getting blackjacks and they keep putting chips in front of you, you don't say, ah, well, we need to go to another table now because, well, I'm better at this game and we need to go back to it. No, you stay at the damn table until you keep winning money. I think Craig Berube is going to have to go right back to Charlie Lindgren when this team gets back on the ice. Although that becomes a different conversation because no longer do you have to say, well, you got a day off and then they play and then a day off, and then they play. So, yeah, you can make the excuse of going to Charlie Lindgren. No, now it's the you're off until Monday, next Monday, a week from today when they play the Devils. What does this roster look like? But for me, I think you have to go back and try Charlie Lindgren again come Monday because he's just a guy that's continued to find ways to win. I think I'm with you. I think I do go back to Lindgren on Monday. But what I would do moving forward is I'm not going to say let's just say four starts in a row with Lindgren or three starts in a row with Lindgren. I think I go 50, 50. I think I just rotate between my goaltenders. And I think that's just where the blues are right now because of the way that Lindgren has played. And let's be honest. I feel like this is a, maybe I'm going to, maybe I'm just thinking wrong here. This feels like a good goaltending convert, good goaltending controversy to have because both guys are playing so well. It's a great goaltending controversy to have. And think about this. Ville Husso, when he went on the COVID list, Ville Husso was on a little bit of a win streak. Think about that game against the Florida Panthers that the Blues won in overtime. I mean, Ville Husso, Charlie Lindgren came into that game, but Ville Husso, I, I, I mean, he kept the team in the game. Although, if you look at Ville Husso's last five games, T-Bone, all five of them, he's given up three or more goals. It's a great goalie controversy to have. And by no means do I think there's a controversy because a controversy means somebody's willing to take over that number one spot. And I don't think that's the case for Charlie Lindgren. And I don't believe Craig Berube thinks that's the case for Charlie Lindgren. But what I do think is you look at him and you say he is giving us our best chance to win. Whatever it may be, the team seems to be playing simpler in front of him. The team seems to be playing tighter in front of the net. All of that is resulting in this Blues team picking up points and picking up victories. And with Jordan Bennington yesterday, it did seem like the team was a lot looser in front of him. By no means am I saying that that game was all on Jordan Bennington's shoulders because he kept them in the hockey game. If it wasn't for the turnover by Colton Pareko, if it wasn't for that grade-A scoring opportunity by Nikolai Ehlers, you're looking at a 2-2 hockey game with the Blues on the momentum side. Yeah. But what I am saying is, 
if a guy seems to be providing you momentum like Jordan Bennington did in 2019, you have to ride that hot hand. As a wise man once said, you got to know when to hold him and know when to fold him. You got to know when to hold him. It's a good song, though. It is a great song. It's a good song. And you know what? I think Craig Brewery does know when to hold them and when to fold them. Yeah? Well, we'll find out in a week because the Blues don't play for an entire week. Woo! No, it's not woo-wee because there's some some things going on right now around the NHL that we're going to get into. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. Oh, the fun stuff now? Oh, yeah, we get the fun stuff. It's 11-16, your time check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. In about 15 minutes, we'll talk with David Pignota, uh, editor-in-chief of the fourth period and host on NHL Network Series XM. He's going to join us to talk about COVID taking over the National Hockey League and this Blues team play. Blues had the games against the Ottawa Senators and Maple Leafs postponed for the rest of this week because COVID cases continue to rise in the NHL. Did the NHL mishandle this? And on top of it, is there any chance that the Olympics are going to have NHL players? We're going to talk about all of that next year on 101 ESPN. You got to know when to hold them. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. I think it's becoming real. I, I don't think that there's any way to stick handle around the fact that the spread of COVID amongst the league is rampant. And it's kind of a dual-edged sword here, I'd say, to a certain extent, because you've got players that have been largely either asymptomatic or lightly affected by COVID, but the spread is still largely uncontained. And so, you know, we're seeing things work in a good way, but you don't have enough bodies to play the game. And that's where it's getting tough. The virus is going to take its course and guide this. As much as they want to control the spread, it may have been two weeks too late to go to the enhanced uh, protocols because I I can't see it slowing down at this rate. Well, that's the voice of Mike McKenna, former NHL goaltender who was with us last Friday. This is BK and Ferrario with Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. And he's right. I mean, right now there's not enough bodies to play games. So if you missed it yesterday, the NHL and NHLPA announced about the first intermission of that Blues Jets game that they were postponing any remaining games between U.S. and Canadian teams until after the holidays. So basically no teams were crossing the border until after the holidays because rising cases, I think the Calgary Flames have like 19 personnel in the COVID protocol list. The Edmonton Oilers just placed some guys in it. Toronto had guys in it. it. Basically it was a big controversy going on of what was going to happen if they were in Canada, if they got stuck in Canada, a positive Positive test stuck there for two weeks. Frankly, I was a little surprised that the Blues even went to that game against the Winnipeg Jets because this felt like it was coming at some point. And because you had Sonny uh, hit the protocol list, uh, what was it, the day they were flying out? Yeah, Saturday. Yeah, so that that added to it as well. And just to kind of add, continue to add some context to this, there are five NHL games on the slate for tonight, four of the five have been postponed yeah. with the Wild and Stars being the only one playing. From now until Sunday, there have been 27 games that have been postponed uh, because of either the, the border um, crossing or because of t- 
teams that just don't have enough players, like you heard Mike McKenna mention. So as of right now, about a minute ago, more than 120 players are in the COVID protocol. Um, on top of it, Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff reporting that it's closing in on 15% of NHL rosters. You've had five head coaches, 13 officials, which we kind of saw yesterday. You had TJ Luxmore, a younger official, officiating a game because a lot of the guys are in the COVID protocol. This is rearing its ugly head. And I think this was something that had to be done for the NHL. I think it was something that, as Mike McKenna mentioned, might be a couple weeks too late. Because you you felt this when Calgary went into the postponing the remainder of their schedule until after the holidays when they had like 19 guys go into it. And to the Blues' fortune, you know, they only had a couple of guys go in in certain time frames. I think the most they had was... It was Falk, Bozak, and Bennington. Those three went in two days apart. But other than that, you'd get a guy that goes in, he'd come out, another guy would go in. Go in, go out. That's not the case around the NHL right now. I really think the NHL messed this one up. They spent so much time worrying about, oh, well, you're not getting cap relief, and we're not doing this, and we have to try and get all of these games in. I think they messed this one up because not allowing the cap flexibility to bring players up forces the hand of teams. And then on top of it, if you're going to enforce these protocols that have been reinforced of not allowing them to go out to restaurants and things like that, when these cases were skyrocketing about a month ago, don't you think they should have jumped in front of that at that time rather than saying, oh, well, now these are reinforced until after the new year and then postpone the game. It's a really sketchy situation to where, they just mishandled it, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I feel like it has been a little bit mishandled. The number one thing for me has been the cap relief of players. We saw the NBA announce yesterday, hey, any guy that hits the COVID list, you are able to go sign a replacement player. It had been for the for the uh, NBA previously. It was kind of what the NHL was. Well, you got to wait until you reach the, I think it was four players out threshold, and then you can go sign replacement players. They've changed that. The NHL still has not changed it. That is the number one thing for me. But honestly, I, I know we're going to give the NHL a hard time for dealing with this. This is just, what, the second year that you've really had to deal with this kind of scenario? The first time you've tried doing this in a full season because last year was a 56-game schedule. You tried to limit traveling. And then the pre, pre, uh, year prior was when you went up to the bubble. Yeah. There's no easy way to handle playing a 82-game schedule in a pandemic. And I kind of agree with you. They were probably a little late on uh adding on to the protocols and forcing the newer protocols, which I think they just started, what was it? It was like last, last, last week. It was either last Wednesday or last Thursday that they placed it in. Um, and then it was supposed to go until January 7th, or it is intact until January 7th. And you could and you could see it, as you mentioned, kind of building up because you saw multiple players starting to go on to the uh, COVID list. And then you see a team like the Flames that pops up with 19 guys and gets shut down. I, I, there's no easy way to handle it, but I do agree that the NHL probably should have been a little bit more uh, proactive in terms of enhancing protocols, maybe just a little bit sooner in terms of giving cap relief to teams for doing it. But the other thing for the NHL, and maybe this is part of the thinking too, is if a team has 19 cases, are you really going to be able to salvage that? No. When a team has about 10 cases, can you salvage that? Probably not, because you still want to have a quality product on the ice. But those are the ones that you go case by case with. Those are the ones that you say, okay, they need to be shut down. And the problem is when you go case by case like that, you have teams like a great example is what happened with the Vancouver Canucks. The Vancouver Canucks had a couple of players that contracted the COVID the COVID, and then they had played the Boston Bruins. Boston previously had played the Florida Panthers. Florida was the team that had like seven or eight guys go into it. So when you go case by case with 
with this, you're getting them and you're dropping like flies with that. One's going to go down and then the next, then the next, then the next. And that's where it's so hard to come into this. And look, I agree. I think the NHL has done the best that they can with the circumstances that are in place of trying to play a full 82 game schedule with all of this travel in the wintertime when the flu is going to go crazy, COVID is going to go crazy. You're testing these guys on a consistent basis. You're going to have something like this. Props to them for getting 31 games into the season before something like this happens. And fingers crossed, knocking on wood, that it can pick back up after Christmas and you can play the rest of your schedule. But the problem now is I think you're getting frustrated players, T-Bone. Yeah. And this is from Joe Vitale, who is very in tune with the players. He was texting with them before they went on the road trip. These players are fed up. They're tired. They're exhausted. I think that you're looking at all the protocols. You're looking at the COVID and the pauses and the teams that are, are canceling games. And uh, I'm talking to Justin Falk, and he feels fine for two weeks. I talked to Tori Krug, who was absolutely fine. And he actually played a back-to-back when he came back from his COVID. I mean, and, and to log 25 minutes each night, this is um, this is something I think is, will change. I don't know when it's going to change, but I think it has to change. And I think that the players are starting to become vocal about it. I think their voices are starting to be heard. Well, you're starting to hear guys vocal about this. Steve Eiserman talked a couple of days ago, Detroit Red Wings GM, about how testing these guys on a daily basis seems to be a joke. Connor Hellebuck, the Jets goaltender, talked about how you can't force these guys to go back into lockdown because it took so much away from them last season. And then Tory Krug was outspoken about this yesterday post-game as well when it comes to the testing daily. Look, I understand this is a serious thing, and um, there's a lot of people that are at risk for this. But on uh, what's going on in today's world, we're, we're vaccinated. Some guys double vaccinated. We're healthy uh, hockey athletes that, um, for the most part, have a very mild symptoms. So it's just, uh, like I said before, everyone's on the same page where we, we want to play. And um, it's, it's disappointing, but uh, like I said, there's certain things out of our control. So. I think the biggest thing with this, too, is, and I understand that frustration with it and the testing daily to the asymptomatic players. You know, the Blues have had guys who have had symptoms and guys who have had no symptoms. And it's frustrating for the players that don't have symptoms because they're the ones sitting at home, not allowed to skate, not allowed to be around the facilities, and they seem fine. The NFL instigated it, what was it, earlier this week, T-Bone, where, where they're not testing asymptomatic players. They're only testing symptomatic players on a daily basis. I think either way you go with this, you're going to have problems. Like, there's going to be, if you don't test asymptomatic players, then COVID kind of is going to take over teams, and you're going to see something like the Calgary Flames. If you do test it, well, you're going to have to live with this where guys go in on a daily basis or every other day, excuse me, every other day basis. This is the world you live in right now. Whether or not the the NHL mishandled this, that remains to be seen. But at the end of the day, the only thing you're looking at this is getting through an 82-game schedule. Yeah, we'll see how the NHL kind of adjusts going through. This will be kind of that learning experience, if you want to call it that, for this portion of the season. Because it's not like they're going to go through this and, all right, New Year's happened and it's going to be... Uh, easy sailing from here. Yeah, no, COVID's not going away in 2022. They're going to learn from this, and we'll see yeah. how they learn from it, whether it is testing is something that they're going to uh, kind of pull back on and go with just guys that are symptomatic. It, we'll see, but it, it will be an interesting case for the NHL to see how they can handle getting about this, along with the NFL and the NBA. I mean, it's just tough times right now. I mean, this is still... The pandemic is still a legitimate thing that has to be taken seriously, and we'll see how the NHL and all these other leagues adjust to it. The one way that could be a fallout with all of this is the Olympics. And it's it's highly unlikely, in my opinion, that we see 
current NHL players playing in Beijing come February. But let's talk about that scenario with David Pinota. He is a host on Sirius XM. He is the senior editor for the fourth period. He is going to join us next to talk about the Olympics, to talk about everything that's happening in the NHL, and of course, talk about this Blues team. That's coming your way next. It's BK and Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Answers coming up in 15 minutes or so. You can send your questions to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 with Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. This is BK and Ferrario as we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line right now to talk about what has gone on in the last 48 hours around the National Hockey League. We welcome in the chief editor for the fourth period, also a host and analyst for Sirius XM on the NHL side. He is friend of the show, David Pinota. David, it's great to catch up with you, man. How, uh, I guess I should say, how have the last 48 hours been because i'm assuming busy for you like it's been for everyone around the nhl <laughs> yeah it's it's been it's been hectic uh it, it's been a lot to unravel and and uh try to piece everything together uh try to figure out which games are happening which aren't uh there's there's certainly been a lot going on the last uh i'd even say you know 72 hours with with everything um that that has been going on across the nhl with the restrictions that were implemented on Saturday officially and all of the additional COVID cases and cancellations that are taking place or postponements, I should say. So it's certainly a lot to take in. We had another game, uh, Columbus and Boston, uh, excuse me, Buffalo that got postponed today. So as of now, there's just one game on the schedule for Monday. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of frustration around the league, but I mean, a lot of understanding as well as to what's going on. Yeah, David, it looks like there's 27 games that have been postponed until after the holidays as of Saturday with 12, maybe more uh, moving forward. I guess the first question to jump in with this is, do you feel like the NHL mishandled this or is this something that was just inevitable? I mean, you could, you could certainly make the argument that they could have acted a little bit sooner. Um, you know, with respect to delaying things from Ottawa's perspective, the New York Islanders, they, they tried to get their games pushed earlier than they originally were. Um, I mean, you could kind of do it, but it certainly seemed like this was just going to spread regardless. Uh, and it's been making its wave across the NHL for the last, you know, couple of weeks here and, and really escalating in the last several days. So, I mean, I don't know really if that would have done anything had they you know, postpone the couple Islander games sooner than they actually did uh, because it just seems like it, it was it was bound to happen. Um, the frustration that lies with a lot of players and, and teams, even though everybody understands why the protocols are in place, um, is that, you know, I would say a, a, a significant majority of those that have been coming down with uh, positive cases of, of COVID are are experiencing zero or very, very mild symptoms. There are a few players that I'm aware of that did feel ill. It lasted, I want to say, a max of two days from, from my understanding. Uh, and that, that has been the extent of it. The rest of it is uh, either very, very mild, they feel a little tickle in the throat for a little bit, and then it's gone, or zero symptoms. So there's a lot of frustration because guys certainly want to play. Um, but at the same time, 
they, they certainly understand the importance of, of why this is happening. David, as we get past the Christmas break that's coming up here, one thing that's been talked about here in St. Louis a lot has been the no cap relief for guys going on to the COVID-19 list. Now, when you have a team that has about 19 guys on it like Calgary did, there's nothing really you can do there. I, I understand that one. But we've seen across the league a lot of teams playing shorthanded a game because they have to do that to get that emergency loan uh, for a player for the next game. Do you think the NHL is going to make a change going into the new year, or do you think they're going to stick with this and uh, continue with no cap relief for guys going on to the COVID protocol list? It certainly sounds like they are just going to continue status quo and go from there. And, and you know, part of the argument from their perspective is, well, it's not just one or two teams that have to deal with this. It's pretty much, you know, half the league plus at this point. So everybody's kind of in the same positioning. So, you know, from a competitive balance perspective, you're, you're pretty even. Um, that's kind of the argument there. To go through those types of changes – it's it's a lot more complex than just saying, okay, well, take those players off that are on COVID and utilize that cap space because how does that then affect, uh, you know, perhaps making roster adjustments and additions later on? How does it affect the trade deadline? Do we restrict it uh, exclusively to call-ups based on COVID? Um, and then the legalities around the CBA that, that play a factor here. So it's, it's not that simple as just as it sounds. Um, cause it certainly makes sense to me. Put the guy on and then get a player out up there to, to step in and utilize that relief strictly for those purposes. But there's so many other ramifications associated with it. It, it, it just doesn't sound like they want to go down that road. We're talking with David Pignot, editor-in-chief of the fourth period, host and analyst on Sirius XM NHL. So, David, the question that all hockey fans are asking now is, does this have de- uh, immediate um, impacts with the possible Olympics uh, of NHL players playing in Beijing in February with all of these games needed to be made up uh, and with the possible um, quarantine period that they would have to have in Beijing, it, it sure okay. kind of seems inevitable that the NHL is not going to be having players playing in Beijing. I'm expecting an announcement this week on that. Um, they're, they're going through all of that. The NHL and NHLPA are going through everything uh, you know, as we speak. Uh, it really started to ramp up yesterday. Uh, at this point, I mean, it, it's not official, but I would be very, very surprised um, if if the players, the NHL players, do go to the Olympics. I think it's out. Uh, that my understanding is that that will be official in some capacity later this week. Now, I say in some capacity because there is still some discussion over allowing players that are really adamant about going to go overseas to to Beijing and represent their country. If that is the case, and this is one of the options that has been discussed to a certain extent, if that is the case, if they miss NHL action because the league is not all on board in the NHL and NHLPA, if they decide jointly to forego the Winter Olympic participation but still allow uh, certain players if, if they really want to go, then there may be a stipulation that if you do miss NHL action, be it going over to play or if you are quarantined over there, you will forego and forfeit part of that salary over that period. That's something that has been discussed. I don't know if it really gets there uh, because there's a ton of complications and, and you know red tape around that. Uh, but on the grand scheme of things, uh, I, I would be very, very surprised at this stage if they allow the players to effectively go over. They're talking right now about trying to see how they can implement some games within that February break uh, to, to kind of make up some postponed games so it doesn't trickle out towards 
later on in the season, and we have an extended regular season going into May. That's where I was going to go next with it, David, because if that does happen to where the players don't go to the Olympics, or even if some go uh, in the scenario that you just painted for us and the teams do still play, are, are we looking at that those full three weeks to where they would make up those games? And I know this is kind of further down the road. We don't know yet. Uh, but Or could this possibly where they give them like a week of a bye week like they usually have and then try yeah. and implement them for those other two weeks? Right, and that seems to be the more um, likely scenario. As of now, the, the All-Star game is still on schedule, um, and that's the first weekend of, of February. Uh, there's obviously some, some different complications associated with that because you're bringing all the players from everywhere together. We're hoping and very hopeful that by over a month from now, things are a lot cooler in this regard. Um, but as of now, that Olympic break is still in place. Or excuse me, the, the All-Star break is still in place. The games are still on schedule the uh, skills competition and the all-star game. And then that you've got that bye week that kicks in. So I would anticipate there, there's going to be some type of break in the schedule to allow players to have their respective bye weeks. Cause there is no, if there is no Olympics or when that is, um, I'm anticipating kind of around the 15, 16 range, somewhere midweek of the week of that 14th of February is when we may start to see some games trickle in. Now, obviously a lot of buildings have different, you know, concerts and other things going on. There are windows within a variety of team schedules that will allow games to be played, uh, but that's everything that the league is scoping over right now. Um, so I do expect, if no Olympics, then that break will be certainly shortened to probably half of what it originally was, which was three weeks. We got a couple more minutes with David Pignotta, who's joining us here on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. It's BK and Ferrario with Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. Uh, so, David, to, to hone in on this Blues team that has gone through players on the COVID list, that have gone through massive injuries. I mean, they've played five games this season, short a skater or 11 forwards and seven defensemen, and they're still only one point out of the best point percentage in the Western Conference, four away from being the best team in the NHL. What have you made of the Blues this season? The, the confidence has trickled back into this into this group. Um, you know, and, and we're see, we've seen that with, uh, with certainly a lot of performances. We're seeing guys that have stepped up, kind of the next crop, taking a more responsibility with this, with this group, be it Barbashev, Kairou, uh, Thomas, that have really performed well you know, so far this, this season, Bushnevich has been an excellent acquisition. Uh, he's kind of co-leading the team and scoring with, with Tarasenko, who's been revitalized this year. So you're getting contributions from up and down. They're sound, uh, you know, defensively. Jordan Bennington has been solid. Lindgren, uh, as he's come in here, has been, has been lights out. So they're getting contributions from up and down that lineup, and the veterans are doing their job at the same time. The younger guys are really starting to step up for this club to really give this, this team a very balanced attack that makes it certainly difficult for the opposition to hone in on because you can try to go after one line with your top defenders, but, okay, you've got a couple other lines that could be a little bit dangerous uh, as well. Brandon Side's got 11 on the season. Uh, they're spreading out the goal totals. They're spreading out the offense, and, and this is, to me, what certainly puts them ahead of uh, the curve for a lot of different teams out there because they've got such – an arsenal that they can utilize on a game-by-game basis. Final one for you, David. And I think if you were to ask a lot of Blues fans, they're still skeptical of this team being a cup contender, legitimate cup contender. Uh, If you were to look at this team, and again, it's so hard to evaluate because they've played one game this year where they've been fully healthy. But if you were to look at this team, does this team look like a team that when healthy, they can compete? Or does this look like a team that might need to address some weaknesses? 
they, they certainly look like a group that can compete. Um, you know, you're always going to look, and, and you know, Armstrong's always going to look to see how he can further improve the club and how can you bring in pieces that can complement the current group. But they're not that far removed from, you know, winning the Stanley Cup a few seasons ago. You've got a lot of players on this roster that have those rings that, and you ask any player, you win a championship, the next season starts, you got that taste, you want to do it all over again. So the fact that they've got that plus, you know, the younger guys that are stepping up and, and getting more responsibility, you combo that, to me, that is a, that is a very solid recipe for success. Um, and, and we'll see if they do do anything afterwards in terms of additions closer to the March 21st trade deadline. Uh, but, you know, this team, the way they're constructed, the additions they've got, the rejuvenation of Tarasenko and others, um, this is a very dangerous club. And, and as you said, once they do get healthy, I'm excited to see how this club can go on a, on a bit of a stretch with a full roster intact because they, they certainly look like they can do a lot of damage. Yeah, we're excited as well. David, it's always great to catch up with you, man. Great work as always. Uh, you can follow David on Twitter at The Fourth Period. He's also a host and analyst on SiriusXM NHL. Always appreciate the time, buddy. Enjoy this, uh, this holiday season. Happy holidays to you and the family. We look forward to talking with you after the new year. Likewise, guys. Thanks so much. Happy holidays. There you go. David Pinota. always appreciate his time. Editor-in-chief of the fourth period, host and analyst on Sirius XM NHL. Um, that's that's the part that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in of what this team looks like when fully healthy. But more so, uh, and the bigger thing I think that he talked about there, T-Bone, uh, it's unfortunate, but I'm on, the same, I'm on the same wavelength as he is. I think you could pretty much write off players playing in the Olympics. And it will be interesting because there are certain guys in the NHL who have said, no, I'm playing no matter what, or yeah, I have to play Uh, Ryan McDonough of the Tampa Bay lightning. He has been outspoken of saying like, I don't care what the COVID restrictions are in the quarantine period is I want to play in the Olympics. So do teams do that? Do they penalize the players? We remember Alex Ovechkin saying he's playing no matter what. I think in result, he didn't go over and play that year in the Olympics, but um, it's it's definitely disappointing because it does seem like later this week we're going to find out that the full NHL rosters for the Olympics won't be happening. Yeah, I'm with you. It's disappointing because it's to me it's the best sport in both Olympics when the NHL players are over there playing as the the uh, chance for gold for those guys. Remember the battle between Canada and U.S. at the Vancouver Olympics, I believe it was, and then when you have the T.J. Sochi moment where he goes into this shootout and is able to outduel, uh, I think it was Dombrovsky, uh, Russia. So it's this point we're not going to get to see those moments with the NHL players involved more than likely. I, I am very curious, though, because I hadn't even considered the possibility of the NHL going case-by-case basis with players. That That is something that is very intriguing. I know like Major League Soccer does that, where they won't they will play through international breaks, so guys can choose whether to play with their club or they can choose to play internationally i would be stunned if the nhl does it but i would support it if they chose to do it and allow players to go play if they want to for their home country. i would support it but i would hate it for the st louis blues i really would hope players wouldn't want to go over there because i'd rather make sure that they're here for the five weeks that potentially they could be lost hey, uh, for a season we got the springfield express I mean, everything we do. is good we do but selfishly yeah well, we need you to stay here guys he's tanner hendrickson i'm alex ferrario coming up in about 15 minutes um david mentioned what this team could look like at full strength I'm wondering if there's a couple of guys who have Wally pipped some guys who started the season with the blues and what the hell are these lines even going to look like when they're healthy? We'll get into that in just a bit, but we got questions and answers coming up next air comfort service, six, five, seven, eight, Oh, we'll get to that after this here on one one ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to six, five, seven, eight, Oh, it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on one Oh one ESPN. 
Air Comfort Service text line 65780. That's questions and answers time with Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But T-Bone, let's start with this one. So, fellas, moving forward, do you feel like the goaltending tandem should be Bennington and Lindgren or Bennington and Huso? Well, I'm glad they didn't say Lindgren and Huso because I was expecting somebody to go that route. Well, we all know Huso's the best, so uh, it's going to. I think ultimately the Blues will go with Bennington and Huso. I don't know if we really have a timeline on Huso's return, but if Lindgren I mean, he traveled with the team, so there we go. I mean, he's fairly close, I would say, and he's on short-term IR uh-huh. compared to long-term IR. I think it's Bennington and Huso because Huso had been playing very well when he was healthy. Then the question becomes, what do you do with Charlie Lindgren? Do you send him down? I know he's 5-0, and but to me, it's more of a flash in the pan. Continue to ride the hot hand if you want. I, I think ultimately you would go Bennington Hoos because that's what you expected heading into the year. And I think the Blues still value Ville Husso as a solid number two goalie. It would be interesting to see what they do with Lindgren, though. Do you send him down to the minors? Do you look to trade him like they did with... Uh, uh, Gillies. Yeah, I don't think you're going to trade him with Gillies. I mean, even if even if he doesn't stay up with the Blues, like you got to have him in the minors because Joel Hofer's still really young and Colton Ellis they had in the East Coast Hockey League. Um, I'd have to double check this, but Joey mentioned this on the post game Friday, and I don't know if that applies because he's on emergency loan right now. But Charlie Lindgren. If he plays 10 games, at least what Joey had said, if he plays 10 games with the Blues, he's got to clear waivers. The same with Logan Brown, which we're going to talk about him in just a bit. But if that's true and he's got to clear waivers despite being on emergency loan, do you really want to take a chance with that? But again, if you send down Huso, he would have to clear waivers. So interesting development with all of those. And that's going to be uh, some crazy decisions that are going to be coming up for uh, the St. Louis Blues. From the 314 on questions and answers, Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Fellas, have you seen what the local hoops teams have been doing lately? Um, that Illinois team, solid. Yeah, 106-point victory against St. Francis, PA. That's a legitimate team. Watch out now. They couldn't beat Arizona, though, could they? No. Four-point loss. And, and look, I last week poo-pooed on the Missouri Tigers and... I still will stand by the fact that I don't think they're going to be very good this season, but that was a pretty decent victory they had on Saturday. I mean, I know Utah's not ranked, but Utah's a good team. And to beat them in the way that they did, I mean, it wasn't like it was a buzzer beater. I mean, you beat them by, what was it, eight points? Yeah, something like that. And you actually had a pretty decent shooting game in that one. I was a little surprised by that. Now, their next two... You take on Illinois in the Bragging Rights game on Wednesday, and then, if I'm not mistaken, their first SEC game is against Kentucky, right? I think that's what it is, and Kentucky's a top 25 team, so it'll be, look, when they get into SEC play, that's going to really dictate this team. I I don't foresee them being very good in the SEC with conference play, but I guess crazier things have happened. The one that you have to talk about are the Billikens. A heartbreaking loss on Saturday to Auburn, number 13 Auburn. You lost by four points. That sucks because it, that would have been would that that would have been Travis Ford's first victory against a ranked opponent, correct? Since he's been with SLU, I believe I thought I heard so. somebody say that. Regardless, I mean, you were out playing him. What was it, twenty-five to three in the first in the first half by like midway point of the first half? Yeah, they outplayed they outplayed uh, 
Auburn, and I was at that game on Saturday, and they looked like the better team for a good chunk of the game. And it came down to late. The, the issue they had was turnovers. They continued to turn the ball over, but so did Auburn. Auburn shot the ball a little bit better. I think Slew struggled from three-point range, if I'm not mistaken. The, yeah. the big thing, though, for me that was impressive, and we'll see if it translates to A-10 play, Slew was the much smaller team, and they out-rebounded Auburn by, I think it was 19, maybe 46 20. 46 to 27. Yeah. Like, you almost had 50 rebounds off of Auburn. And you're right. They are the smaller team. Um, Yuri Collins is fun to watch. He almost had a triple-double. I know. He was two assists away or one? I think it was two. I think he ended with eight assists, but he's fun to watch. I still think Slew's going to be a good team, but, man, that one sucks because you're talking much differently between a 9-4 and four team and an 8-5 and five team if they upset Auburn there. Yeah, and that would have been the big resume builder for them, that win, and they weren't able to get it. And yeah. I hate to say this because I did. I was impressed with what I saw from SLU over the weekend, but the A-10 is probably only going to send one team. Yeah. Unless someone is able to beat St. Bonaventure's to win the A-10 title. But every projection I've seen so far, it's only got one team, and it's got St. Bonaventure, and they're not even ranked anymore. Yeah, I was going to say And they no, fell out of the top 25. There's so. not a ranked A-10 team right now. So it's going to come down to probably whoever wins that A-10 tournament will probably be that team, unless SLU can really tear up conference play yeah and maybe they entered the discussion but yeah it's going to take them probably winning the a10 tournament to get in yeah wednesday's their first a10 game i think they take on drake at home so uh at least that's local college hoops scene right now he's tanner hendrickson i'm alex ferrario as i mentioned coming up in 15 minutes we're going to get into some nfl quick hitters but have there been players that have wally pipped some guys who started the year on the blues roster I think there's at least two, and I'll tell you why. Plus, I don't know what the hell these lines are going to look like once everyone's healthy, and you legitimately could have a healthy team come Monday. We're getting into all of that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Clear back in. Brown again with Joshua. Brown to Joshua. Score! Moved it from the right to the left. And he tucked it in gently like you're tucking your kid in good night. Off the glove of Holtby wide. Jammed in. They score! Brown puts it on the goal. Saab was right on the doorstep. And the St. Louis Blues take a 1-0 lead. Well, Logan Brown, Dakota Joshua continue to impress for this St. Louis Blues team with Tanner Hendricks and Alex Ferrario here on BK and Ferrario. So the Springfield Thunderbirds have had an impact on this Blues team. Between Logan Brown, Dakota Joshua, Nathan Walker, Matthew Pekka, and Alexei Toropchenko, you've ate eight goals, eight assists, 16 points, a plus 11. And how about this? 79 hits, 46 of them have come from Dakota Joshua. So in all, the Springfield Thunderbirds have had a massive impact on this team going on a seven-game point streak up until yesterday's loss to the Jets. You're starting to see guys come back. Clem Costin was recalled from his conditioning assignment down in Springfield, which essentially put Matthew Pekka and Alexei Toropchenko back down to the American Hockey League, which tells me that Jordan Kairou's probably ready to come back for you. Yes. Because according to Cap Friendly, you had 13 forwards. Um, if you send down Torpchenko and Matthew Pekka, that's giving you 11 forwards. Uh, you add cost into that, you're back to 12. Then, of course, if Jordan Kyrou's back, you have 13. 
So with those two down, that leaves you from Springfield on emergency loan, Nathan Walker, Logan Brown, and Dakota Joshua. And if you remember correctly, the Blues took Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, Jake Wallman, Ville Husso, and David Perron all with them on that road trip that essentially was canceled and they came back home. David Perron is eligible to come off LTIR on Tuesday. The reason I'm giving you all of these roster decisions is there are going to be some decisions to be made because basically when guys are eligible to return, you have to send players back down to the minors because they're on emergency loan. So Logan Brown, Dakota Joshua, Nathan Walker, they're going back to the AHL. But the question is, do they come back to the NHL? And I think, at least in the sense of Logan Brown and Dakota Joshua, those two have played their way into staying up at the National Hockey League level with this Blues team. I really think they've Wally pipped a couple of these guys. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, and you know, Logan Brown, to me, is the one that's kind of the stands out because he's got six points and he's been playing on the top line the last couple of games. He was on that top line again last night, if I'm not mistaken, with Ryan O'Reilly. So to me, Logan Brown has to. Dakota Joshua, you know, I didn't even, when I was looking at his numbers last night, my first thought was, eh, you know, I could see it. You know, he does some of the smaller things that I don't pick up on the stat sheet. But then I look at his hits. He's got 47 hits and he's played in, if I'm not mistaken here, a total of 17 games. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of hits for a guy in just 17 games. So he's a tone setter for the Blues. He's that guy that's on that fourth line, going to provide that physical body. I mean, we mentioned uh, with Torbchenko, you know, he didn't really, he only got about eight minutes of ice time, but you notice him. Why? Because he's throwing the body around. And that's what this Blues team needs. They need that little bit of that physical edge to them. So I think, yeah, Dakota Joshua has to stay up as well. Uh, Nathan Walker's kind of cooled down ever since having the hat trick game, so I would understand if they decided to send him down. But I, I'm with you. I think Logan Brown and Dakota Joshua have uh, Wally pipped uh, some guys on this Blues roster. Yeah, well, and look, Logan Brown, again, with emergency loan, I don't know how this works, but he's played 10 games. So he would have to clear waivers if that doesn't work with the emergency loan situation. Again, I'm not clear on how that goes. So you're not going to lose. Someone will pick up Logan Brown through waivers because of the way he has played with this Blues team. I mean, heck, he's been playing on the number one line with Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad. I'm with you. I don't think you can send down either of those guys. You remember what Robert Portuzo said, that audio cut we played in the open of the show. Some guys just bring energy to the team that just everyone else feeds off of. Dakota Joshua does that. In only eight minutes of hockey, he brings a lot more energy to this team. The question is, how do you go about making these decisions? Because you do have a Clem Costin. You do have a James Neal, who you signed to a contract. You do have... Kairou, Thomas, Perron, Shen, Wallman. The guys on the Last Minute Blues podcast had an interesting conversation about this. Jamie Rivers, Donnie Fandango, and Jeff Burton. Take a listen. I would argue, till I'm blue in the face, that both Dakota Joshua and Logan Brown, their development would be substantially greater staying in the NHL for the rest of the season than what you would get out of a James Neal. And so, I know it sounds terrible. I was the guy. No, I no. was the guy that got pushed out. I know how it feels. It sucks. And yeah. I'm sure if James Neal's listening right now, he probably hates my guts, but... <laughs> I'm just being real, man. I, I think that's where you go. I think you start with James Neal and you try and clear him through waivers. Maybe he doesn't clear. Somebody claims him. Maybe he does clear and he goes down to the AHL. But I, I think Logan Brown and James Neal are offsetting each other. And Logan Brown can play on your fourth line and be effective, but he can also move up in the lines if you need him to. Then you come to Dakota Joshua. And unfortunately, I think when you're protecting your assets, Dakota Joshua might have to go down. 
because you do have Clem Costin, Tyler Bozak, Braden Shen, got a lot of guys who can play in the lineup that have to play in the lineup. Um, I just don't know how you go about doing that, though, because with Dakota Joshua, he provides some energy that, frankly, some guys just haven't done. Dakota Joshua does what the Blues have been wanting Clem Costin to do, and for a little spurt there he did, but it's not consistently. Yeah, it's not consistently, and it's not consistent enough for me to send Joshua down so I can put Costin back into the lineup. I I think Costin has to go to the AHL, and I know they recalled him, so it makes me think that they're not going to do that. They ultimately will end up possibly sending Dakota Joshua down. But, man, he better fill the hole of that Dakota Joshua was playing in because if he's not and it takes him a while to get going and he doesn't provide a little bit of a spark, I'm not going to wait around to make the decision. If I'm the Blues, I need to bring back Dakota Joshua, a guy that's throwing the body around, providing that spark that you mentioned, and put him back in the lineup and figure out what I'm going to do with Clem Costin. In terms of Brown and Neal, I'm with you. I think that... It's unfortunate the way it happened for James Neal because he earned his spot on this roster in training camp on a PTO, and he looked really good in training camp and in the preseason, but he got hurt. Guys came up. Logan Brown has stepped into a role that you really don't want to pull him out of. So if I'm the Blues, I think it comes down to the unfortunate unfortunate circumstance in which you have to waive James Neal. Are you over there trying to do the lines? Yeah. So, so this I can is- tell because you looked it looked. Uh, puzzling this is just fascinating to me and i'm with you there i think that's where you have to go with this but so so here's what i do when i look at this you look at how these line combinations go and where these guys are going to fit in and i don't know what robert thomas and Braden shen's role are going to be somebody is going to have to either play on the wing or be a fourth liner because when perron comes back perron's going to be in logan brown's spot and I would imagine you're going to keep Brandon Sod up there with his 11 goals on the season. All right, so let's run through this. We got so you got 90, line. 57, and 20. Oh, I'm better with names, not numbers. Okay, O'Reilly, Perron, and Sod. Thank you. You're not breaking up the Russian line. Tarasenko was just named the second star of the week. I think I talked about this on pregame yesterday. They have had 24 points in their last six games. That line's not going anywhere. Ivan Barbashev has become a top nine centerman for you. Agreed. So then you have your bottom two lines of players with Sunquist, Thomas, Kairu, Brown, Shen, Bozak, and Costin. Costin seems to be the healthy scratch, but I guess it's going to come down to who's playing well. But one of one of Thomas, Shen, Kairu are either going to have to be a fourth liner or playing on the wing. And I don't know how the hell this is going to work because Shen has not been able to thrive on the wing like he does at the center position. I mean, maybe it's a benefit for this team to have him on the fourth line where you can roll four lines consistently, but this is going to be fascinating with these decisions because then Sunquist or Logan Brown becomes a fourth-line player for you. Think of the offense you're going to get from that fourth line. Yeah, that's a heck of a fourth line. I know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out. So I would I would probably kick Shen out to the wing and have Thomas center a line with Shen, and then I just don't know who I put on that other side with him. It's kind of how I – would you put Brown on that side maybe? Shen on the fourth line? No, I'd have Shannon Thomas on the third line. Well, then He's I got playing Kyra. wing. I got Kyra. Yeah. <laughs> Can Kyra play wing? Ky- Kyra does play wing. Oh, well, good. Then I got my third line. It's going to be Shen, Thomas, and Kyra. Who's playing wing for you? One of those three. Oh, jeez. This is what I'm talking about. This is going to be fascinating, but this is why we've spent so much time saying that when this I, team's healthy, it's dangerous. I wish I had grabbed this cut and now, now that I'm thinking about it, but I think it was Thursday, we were discussing this, and Chris Carper was in, and he was talking with Jeremy Rutherford, and we were talking a little bit about, you know, what do you do with this lines? Then you got to set aside ego, which Doug Armstrong had mentioned to us, uh, of course, I guess it was two weeks ago, yeah. about you know these guys putting aside their ego, and they've done that so far this year. 
And I don't think Shen's here yet because I think he's still a very good player. He's got multiple years left on a deal. But if he can take that Alexander Steen role of being flexible to move down to whether it be the fourth line if you need him to or move out to the wing or be on that top line or be on that second line, if he's flexible with his role, he's kind of a Swiss Army knife in my opinion. And I know we've said that with Ivan Barbashev, and Barbashev probably fits that role better because he's not on a big contract like Braden Shen, and Braden Shen is legitimately a top six forward. But because you have so much depth – if you can convince Brayden Shannon, I think he'd be willing to do it, or you have to move him around that way, move him to a wing maybe and see how he does on a third line or have him center a fourth line. I think it just makes the team that much better, and I think that's kind of what we're talking about of, well, what is that role? Well, with the way that things are shaping out right now for the Blues, maybe that's what you have to do until the circumstance opens back yeah. up for Shen to move back to a solidified center role in the top six. And the cliche in hockey is always, this will figure itself out. And it always does look, the blues have been unable to keep a healthy roster with the exception of one game this season. So uh, with COVID still running through the NHL, it's going to happen at some point, but uh, when you're back to full health, it's going to be fascinating. And you're right. Somebody's going to have to take a lesser role and have to buy into that. But that's what Craig Berube has done so well uh, throughout his tenure with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, we haven't even talked about defense and the decisions that are coming up there. We'll do that in 15 minutes. But coming up next, we have our NFL quick hitters, including what the hell happened in that Steelers and Titans game yesterday. We're going to dive into that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. <laughs> comment that we have here on BK and Ferrario with our NFL quick hitters. The Lions? That, but also, what the hell happened last week? What the hell happened last night? So many games, once again, just continues to make you go, well, now they're probably the number one team in the AFC. Or now they're the number one team in the NFC. Let's start with the AFC. Because, what was it, Saturday night? You had the Colts take down the Patriots. And we talked with Benny Heisler on Friday who said that, you know, that's going to come down to Carson Wentz if the Patriots eliminate Jonathan Taylor. Well, guess what? Patriots forgot the step of eliminating Jonathan Taylor. The Patriots forgot that as he rushed for 170 yards and got a touchdown. The Chiefs pick up that victory to move to 8-6 and on the year. Uh, Patriots now 9-5, and still first place in the AFC East. But with that Colts victory, and I don't know what the win streak is now for the Colts, T-Bone. I think they've won three in a row. I know they started the year 0-3, and, and now you look at them and they're one of the top So they beat teams. the Patriots, they beat the Texans, they lost to the Buccaneers, they beat the Bills. So they've won three of their last four games. But they started 0-3 and, and are now sitting at 8-6. and six. Are the Colts the new favorite in the AFC? Well, well, how do we jump to this conclusion? I mean, the Patriots last week were the favorite in the AFC. Yeah. And they just beat them. I think the Colts are a team to keep an eye on. I don't know if I'll throw them into the top team in the AFC because... Carson Wentz is their biggest question mark. And if quarterback's your biggest question mark, and it's not a Patrick Mahomes kind of quarterback question mark, then to me it's a little bit of concern. I think Kansas City's still the team to beat in the AFC and New England losing to in that fashion to the Colts. Because, look, I knew they had a great running game. I expected Bill Belichick to do the, we're going to take away your best thing and beat us with uh, one of your weaknesses in terms of, like, throwing the football. They weren't able to do that. I'm very curious to see how they would stack up against the Chiefs. I think Kansas City's the favorite in the AFC right now. 
I hear you, and I understand you're putting a lot of faith in the Carson Wentz project, which is always a dangerous thing. But I mean, how long were we sitting here saying that the Tennessee Titans, you don't have to worry about Ryan Tannehill because Derrick Henry is so good. And I think Jonathan Taylor has now crossed that threshold. And in my opinion, I think Carson Wentz, when he looks the way he has, is about as good, if not better, than Ryan Tannehill. I think they're at that level of that Titans team from, was it last year? Where it was what you're saying, where, okay, they've got the running game, they could go on and win. They don't have the weapons, though, for the passing game. they got Carson Wentz and they've got uh, Pittman, but that's about it. And then after that, there's where that drop-off is. Because I agree, Jonathan Taylor's become a difference maker for that Colts offense, but we never saw the Titans win anything relevant. I mean, they got a playoff win, and then they lost to Kansas City in the, what was it, the AFC Championship game? Yeah. So you need to have those weapons. That's what Tennessee tried this year. They went and acquired a Julio Jones to pair with A.J. Brown. The Colts are missing that that pairing at wide receiver to become an elite offense. And plus, Carson Wentz, he's going to need the weapons to become an elite offense because he can't do it himself. Well, the way I look at this now, and by no means do I think they are the favorite, but I look at there's top three in the AFC, and it's the Chiefs, the Colts, the Patriots. And the only reason I put the Colts ahead of the Patriots is because they just picked up that victory. And I know in a playoff game, you're probably going to bet more on Bill Belichick than you would Carson Wentz. But those are my top three teams, especially after what took place in the Titans losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And let's talk about that. A first down that wasn't a first down. And the more I watched that replay, the more I agreed he didn't have that. But were you surprised at how quick they made that decision? Like, Tatum really didn't even seem like they did a review on it. And maybe it was because it was clearer than what I thought it was. The one on the very last fourth down Yeah, the last throw. Nah, I'm not surprised because to me he was short by a yard. I thought the spot was very generous for what it was when they measured it. I was a little surprised when they walked out there and they were like, oh yeah, he's got the first down. I'm like, damn, that was quick. I, I have a tough time because like I hear Tennessee and you know, you got Derrick Henry coming back. I have a tough time reading into some of these injury-riddled teams. Like, you look at them. You've got Cleveland that's been banged up. Uh, there's one other team that's kind of beat up. Tampa Bay's now beat up. Like, it's, yeah. it's tough to kind of read into these teams and say, okay, here's what you have with this team. I don't think Pittsburgh's very good, and that's why I think that loss for Tennessee's kind of backbreaking. But, I mean, I look at the whole AFC. The best team has four losses. I never thought I'd be saying that at well, this of time course. of year. But look, Tennessee's lost three of their last four games, and the only victory they had was against the Titans, or the uh, Jaguars. They lost to the Texans, they lost to the Patriots, they lost to the Steelers. I-, I know Tennessee is a playoff team. They're first in the AFC South. They're a border team, in my opinion, now. They're a team that can get into the playoffs, but I'm not sure how, further, how far they're going to go unless they get everyone back. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. Without Derrick Henry, I don't know if they go very far. Like, they may Deontay be able to Foreman's win a game. been good. Tannehill's been okay, but they just don't have anything. I, I think they could win a playoff game, but they shouldn't be considered any kind of AFC kind of favorite without Derrick Henry. And let's be honest, even if their wideouts are out, then I don't know if I could sit on that team and say, yeah, that's a team that can make a run. Well, the other team that's on the bubble now is the Baltimore Ravens as they lose to the Packers last night on Way a to go, another, John. another Another two-point conversion that he says, let's go for it on, and they lose in basically the same fashion where they throw to Mark Andrews in the corner of the end zone, and the ball is just missed. Now, two weeks ago, Andrews bobbled it. I thought it was a decent throw. This week, it looked like he overthrew him. Regardless, that's two go-for-it scenarios by John Harbaugh. 
Are the Baltimore Ravens going to miss the playoffs? I'm kind of leaning that way. I have too. Because, like, I look at the three wild card teams now. Now they could win their division. Uh, let's see. Hold on. I got to know what Cincinnati's record is against Baltimore here. But they, they play them. each other. Cincinnati plays Baltimore at home this week, which will be probably the game that determines whether or not they can win the division. And earlier in the year, yeah, Cincinnati. Oh, yeah, they blew them out 41 to 17. Yeah, they beat them so. earlier. And that was with Lamar Jackson and with Calais Campbell and basically a healthy roster. I don't know if Baltimore is going to make the playoffs because I don't know if they're the favorites in their division anymore. I think it's Cincinnati's the favorite. Now, if they beat them this week, then that changes the conversation. But I think right now I would probably take Cincinnati. Would you take Pittsburgh over Baltimore right now in making the playoffs? Uh, For the way that Pittsburgh has been playing? Like, if you put those teams head-to-head, am am I insane to think Pittsburgh wins? I don't think you're insane. I think I would still take Baltimore. Because I just trust their quarterback more than I trust Big Ben. Yeah, but but the defense has been so. I good. mean, if they don't win the if they don't win this weekend against Cincinnati, I think they're out. Because I think Indianapolis, the Chargers, and Buffalo are going to be your three wild card teams. Yeah, or the Patriots, depending on if uh, Buffalo can catch them. So their route is, to me, in my opinion, the AFC North, and I don't know if they're the favorites because they got blown out by Cincinnati. But Cincinnati's so spotty that I can't sit here and tell you Cincinnati's going to be the favorite to win the division. I think it just comes down to this weekend. If Cincinnati wins, I think Baltimore's out. If Baltimore wins, and I think they have a shot to get in because they win their division. I mean, the Browns are a win away from being the same record as the Baltimore Ravens. And I know they're in completely, or no, they would take over second place in the AFC North. But if I'm going wild card teams right now that could get in and look, eight and six is held by uh, the Colts, who we just talked about, the Chargers um, and the Bills. And frankly, if you were putting head to head, I would take the Colts and Bills over the Ravens. The Chargers are the ones I don't know about, but if I'm putting Chargers against Ravens, Brown Steelers, Ravens might be the last team in that conversation. How many wins do you think it's going to take to get in the AFC? I'd say nine, but I think that's too little. I think ten is going to is what it's going to take because you figure what you got three more weeks with Buffalo, you got three more weeks, and I don't know what their schedules look like. I would imagine the Colts are going to get two of two more victories. I would imagine the Bills hopefully would get two more victories. I think 10 is what it's going to take. I think I'm with you in a team I'm keeping an eye on, and I just don't know if they'll get in because they sit below four teams now just to get into the playoff picture or three. Uh, the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know where to put them anymore. Because they have won, let's see, six in a row. Now, granted, they've beaten bad teams like they've beaten the Texans. Now, they did beat Baltimore. They've beaten the Panthers, Giants, Jets. But their schedule... They're on the road next weekend on Monday Night Football at the Saints. I think they can win that game. Then they're at Tennessee. The way Tennessee's playing, I can see Miami winning that game. And then they're hosting the Patriots, and the Patriots have always historically struggled in Miami. Yeah. I mean, they win their next three. We're talking about a team that could sneak in. Problem is, again, as I mentioned, they have to leapfrog teams. But the AFC North, three AFC North teams are ahead of them. And they're going to be going up against each other in these final three weeks. So maybe they have the opportunity to do it. It's fascinating. We didn't even talk about the NFC, so we'll get into that a little bit later on. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got the junk drawer. And I might tick some people off, but hey, I do that an awful lot, I guess. So we're going to do that in the junk drawer. But coming up next, uh, the Blues ran into a similar situation in terms of a problem that they have had at times this season. Is it a big concern, or is that just a one-game offset? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. You know, a play here or there makes a difference. You know, the first goal, we can't run to the goal line like we did and leave the slot open on that goal. And then that late power play goal there, you know, we, we got to do, um, we make it 3-2, uh, shorthanded goal. Uh, we just got to do a better job protecting the front of the net that play. That's the bottom line. You know, so right there, it's a, it's a tight game. It's a good game. That's it, Coach Craig Berube after the Blues loss to the Winnipeg Jets yesterday. Welcome back in, BK and Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. As Blues kind of dropped back into their old habits yesterday, chasing the puck, puck watching, defense gets caught in front of the net, and guys just in clear range of being able to tap home a goal. We saw that with the Nikolai Ehlers goal. Uh, we saw that with the turnover. Colton Pareko behind the net off of a face-off win that goes right to Mark Shifley to beat Jordan Bennington. We talked about Bennington a, li- a little bit earlier in the show, but this is, I, I don't want to say concern, T-Bone, because there were so many more factors that went into this yesterday, and I talked about it on post game, and I got plenty of texts that said it was excuses, but it's definitely not a a warm and fuzzy feeling in that game against the Winnipeg Jets, especially after you dominated the Dallas stars two consecutive games going into yesterday's game against Winnipeg. You had given up seven goals in the previous five games, excluding that overtime penalty shot that you gave up to the Anaheim ducks. The defense seemed to be corrected. And then they took that step yesterday and, and you have been the biggest component for this team is missing a big-time defenseman. Yeah, and I thought the team had been playing well over the last five games, but this was kind of that game that was maybe it's a one-off. Maybe they'll get back to playing well when we get back from the Christmas break when they take on the Devils, I believe, a week from today. But it was the same mistakes that we'd seen earlier in the year where it was, as you mentioned, the turnovers in your own end, the puck watching, allowing guys to get to the front of the net. They, that even dates back to last year for this Blues team. So maybe it's a one-off and maybe they'll get back to playing solid defense because the last, I think it's three, four, five games we've been talking about. You know, this Blues defense is actually finding its stride. Pareko's got a good pairing with Mikolo. Uh, Krug's back with Falk. Scandella actually looks pretty good on that third pairing with Robert Bortuzzo. And then they go out last night and they lay a little bit of an egg. Maybe it was part of the... I think we mentioned it earlier. We were a little surprised the Blues even went to that game in Winnipeg. Maybe that was just part of it. Yeah. But it's the little things like this that are still sitting in the back of my mind as to why I want to go get another top four defenseman because it's just Craig Burby kind of mentioned it there. It's kind of like silly mistakes. It's, you know, we're puck watching. We're going behind the net. We're giving the puck up. It's things that we didn't do when we went on the cup run in that 19 season. Yeah. Here was Tori Krug after the game uh, talking about the, the team struggling in front of their net. Uh, well, they're they're a strong um, slot mentality shooting type team and uh, bigger bodies that go to the net. So obviously it's a strength of theirs and something that, uh, you know, we didn't do a good job of tonight and we, we left better out to dry a few times. So, um, yeah, it, it was uh, that was the issue. So um, next time we play them, we'll be more aware of that and do a better job. You know, Friday when Mike Van Ryan was on with Curbs and Joey after the win, he said it's the little things right now. It's not turning the puck over. It's making quick, smart decisions out of their zone, and it's moving north as quick as possible. And the Blues just didn't do that against Winnipeg. 
I mean, again, break all of these down. You get caught puck watching on that first goal. Nikolai Ehlers with a incredible pass through the slot by Paul Stastny. And that was Scott Perunovic on the ice. You get the faceoff one in the defensive zone that Colton Pareko tries to go behind the net. It, it was it was bad puck luck more than anything because the puck bounces off the post. He tries to go back and get it. Winnipeg's quicker to get there. And then, of course, they score the goal. And then the next two, I mean, you get a tough goal that Bennington gives up. And then you get a good pass on the power play. It, it, it just wasn't the same aggressive team. And even Joe mentioned it on the broadcast. The penalty kill. He said the penalty kill, look, pill, kill looked a little too passive compared to what they had been, where they had killed 14 in a row going into yesterday's game. More aggressive, going to the puck, fighting, throwing the body checks. You just didn't feel like that physicality was there. And there's no coincidence there was eight giveaways in that hockey game for the St. Louis Blues. It was the dumb mistakes that, uh, frankly, has dripped into the Blues game at times in the midst of their struggles. Yeah, and Pareko seemed to kind of fall back. And you mentioned a little bit of bad puck luck there in that one play, but he's kind of fallen back, or at least yesterday, fell back into that. Oh, man, that's not the Pareko we expect because it was it just looked a little, as you mentioned, sluggish. And I look at his numbers on the year, and I know plus minus it's a team stat and all that, but he's a minus seven this year, and he was a minus two again last night. So for a team that's played very well, and is sitting, I think you mentioned it, like they're just a few point percentage uh, points behind the top spot in the Western Conference, only four four points behind with the best uh, overall points in the National Hockey League. For a guy with Colt Prankle at a minus seven, it's something that is going to be worth keeping an eye on as we move into the season. He'd been playing better in the last couple of games, but again, I thought last night he was one of those guys that took that step back that has me just raising a little bit of the alarm bells, and it's coming against a team that, let's not forget, this was just their second game with a new head coach after uh, Paul Maurice had resigned, and they looked sluggish, too, if we're, if we're going to be honest. I mean, it just never felt like the game really got going mm-hmm. and until the, the Blues, second period. Until the second period, and the Blues ultimately end up losing it 4-2. to two. Yeah, those are the games where you got to – if the Blues aren't engaged with the energy, if the team's not playing to that level, it's frankly, it's boring hockey. If the other team's playing boring hockey, then I think the Blues fall into that trap. It's when the other team comes out firing. That's like look at the Dallas Stars game on Friday night. Jamie Benn takes a penalty 35 seconds in from a hit from behind on Ryan O'Reilly – What's the outcome? The Blues are the ones that win that hockey game. I think you got to get the other team engaged, which is a challenge for the Blues because Dakota Joshua gets into the fight. I thought that was the momentum shift, and it just wasn't there. Uh, one of the underlying factors that I mentioned, uh, which could have played into this one, which is why it's so tough to evaluate, is the Blues going with 11 forwards and 7 defensemen. You know, Craig Berube pregame yesterday talked about how good that fourth line has been with Pekka, Torpchenko, and Joshua. They... Don't have Oscar Sundquist, so they have to play Scott Perunovic because their injured players were, uh, weren't were weren't available to come back. I think playing with seven defensemen is it's a break from the routine that the Blues have when it's six defensemen that know their role and you're throwing Perunovic in there and you got to get him onto this. I don't know what the Blues are going to do with Scott Perunovic because look, you're going you have eight defensemen on the roster when Jake Wallman's back. And like it or not, Marco Scandella has been playing much better as of late on that third pairing. Nico Mikola does not deserve to be taken out of that first pairing with Colton Pareko. Do you keep Scott Perunovic up at the NHL level to sit from up top and get in if there's an injury? Or do you possibly go back to the minors and try and play there? That's going to be an interesting question as well as all the forward controversy that we have talked about. But for right now, I don't know where Scott Perunovic fits in. I know people will say, well, look at his talent. You have to have him in the game. You're right. He's very talented. The The puck movement, his ability in the offensive zone, it's all there. But that's not what you need right now because 
your defense weren't engaged in that game yesterday, so you needed a heavy game in your own zone. And you get caught puck watching, you get beat by the Winnipeg Jets. I just don't know where Scott Pernovich plays into all of this. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I It's going to come down, in my opinion, to the decision of whether or not put him in the press box to learn, which the Blues do like to do. We saw them do it uh, in his first game back after he missed that game because he was sick, non-COVID-related. They've done it with forwards in the past, but I wonder if it's almost better for him to go down to the American Hockey League and just continue to play and kind of develop down there, even though he dominated the American Hockey League. It, it is going to be a tough decision for the Blues. And to your point on, you know, they went with seven defensemen last night. Maybe that was part of the issue. I think that's a legitimate thing to bring up, and I know a lot of people say that's just an excuse, but, I mean, you'd mentioned it. They were playing with six defensemen, and we've been talking about how the defense had been looking good. They had finally kind of solidified what their defensive pairings. Remember, early in the year, they were kind of mixing and matching, trying to figure out who was going to be with who. Yeah, They had figured it out. They figured out, okay, Pareko's with Mikula, Krug is with Falk, and then Scandella and Bortuzzo are the guys. And they were playing really well. You add in that seventh defenseman, you start to mingle around a little bit with the matchup, or not the matchups, but with who's paired with who, like Preko on that goal that Prunovich was caught puck watching. Preko's on the ice with Scott Prunovich. He's been with Nico Mikola. So maybe there's just a little bit of that involved too. If I'm the Blues, I almost think you send down Scott Prunovich to the American Hockey League and allow him to continue to play rather than sitting up in the press box and kind of just being there as that extra defense. I remember earlier in the year, we never saw Nico Mikola. And we were talking about, well, what's his role? What do you do with him, yeah. And the Blues finally put him into the lineup, and he took off and ran with it. But do you really want to do that with one of your top, the top prospect in your system in Scott Prunovich? Yeah, well, again, you might have a full healthy roster come Monday when your team is back uh, against the New Jersey Devils. But until then... Uh, you're just going to have to keep an eye on. We'll keep an eye on practice and see what happens with this Blues team. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we are going to talk a little bit more about Jordan Bennington. And has he lost his job, at least for now, as a starting goaltender? We'll talk about that in 15. But coming up next, the junk drawer here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Open it up and, well, let's frankly upset some people, T-Bone. What were we upset? Well, I might upset you with this one because I know this is your favorite. How do we all feel about the country road song at Blues Games? Oh, it's fantastic. Third period. I think it's, what, the second TV timeout, you know, less than 10 to play. Country Roads comes on and everyone starts singing it. You all know the song, right? I was belting it out on Friday. Well, Let me tell you. I'm not a big fan of it. Yeah. And by not a big fan of it, I feel like it needs to go away ASAP. I mean, you legitimately are the worst. I just don't. I, I might be. I, I just don't understand. Like, that is the most, like, I, I don't even know the, the proper phrase for it. It is the most, like, calm. Relaxes the guy. Yeah, like, and then they like, go out and score the power play goal. Non-pumped up goal I've ever heard. Non-pump what? Like there's there's nothing about that song that beats like yeah let's go win this game in the third period. It's more of oh yeah well if we win great if not eh, we'll still go home happy. Well the only reason I bring this up is because we have had a a local hero 
come out and talk. That was a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there. Local hero. You'll get it in a minute. But Charlie Lindgren, a.k.a. Chucky Sideburns, well, he apparently loves country roads. Oh, gosh, I love it. Every time I hear it, it's uh, I tell my family, too. It's like my favorite thing in the world. So we got some excellent, excellent singers up in the stands. That a boy, Charlie. Hey, you know what? We have excellent singers. I said excellent singers in the stands. But that song needs to freaking go. No shot. It's got to go. No shot. It's terrible. Seriously, it led to a power play goal on Friday. That's fine. I was get, I was prepared to do the Amber Missouri power play dance. You know, I was going to get the arm action going. And then Country Roads pops on. That and is your a perfect example singing. of what I'm trying to get at here. They how the hell do you, goal. How the hell do you transition from West Virginia oh, did you need here? to the power Country Roads? No. Yeah. Yeah. Take me home. Terrible. Great. And, song. and look, from the 636, you're terrible. I understand. I might be in the minority here. This song has nothing in terms of correlation with a hockey game. What does a squid have to do with a hockey game in Detroit? It's a it's the same thing that the towel has to do with a hockey game in St. Louis. It's 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 my point. It's branding. It's, it's great. not branding. It's a terrible song. You gotta come up with something more. And guess what, T-Bone? What? I did. Yeah. I've got five options for you that you could play in the third period that people could get pumped up to. Well, we can't do a Ferrario five here. Oh, we could do a Ferrario five. Breaking the rules. Break as many rules as you want because I am so done with country roads. I've got five for you. Hit the open, T Bone. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario five, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. We need BK back. So you, blasphemy doesn't happen you anymore. Cannot look at me with a straight face with this list and tell me that these songs would not be better in the third period with less than ten to play than Country Roads. I bet I can. You know why? Because I bet four of these five. I don't know. Probably very true with this one. All right, number five on this one. Crazy Train from Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, I know. Everyone loves Ozzy. Ozzy, the Blues jersey and his mugshot. You can't picture yourself singing Crazy Train. At a hockey game over country roads. No, I can't. Yeah, you can't. No, I can't because yes, it's can. not as mellow. It doesn't, it doesn't and it's need not to as, be mellow. It's not as slow and easy for me to keep up <laughs> you with. You don't need that type of music. I've been, I've been drinking at the game. Exactly. It's intense. You I need something party. to relax me a little bit for the final 10. You want to party with this one. Get rid of country roads. Play crazy train. Someone said, Alex, stop. Get out of St. Louis. Come on. You know better than this. Number four, Journeys Don't Stop Believing. That, that you can sing. That you can sing loud to. And you know what? Just like Country Roads. The problem is, is it's not as, uh, what's the word? It takes forever to get to the main chorus of Someone that said song. said you can't understand the lyrics to Ozzy's songs. What are you talking about? You can totally understand the Crazy lyrics train to Crazy Train. Yeah. Yeah. Don't Stop Believing. Like, you don't even need the, the... Core or yeah, the chorus to sing with it or the refrain to sing. You got the opening to just a small town girl. Come on, man. Everyone sings to that. So that was number four on this list. Number three, Queens, we will rock you. You don't even need to sing. But see, that one happens at every sporting event. Same with Don't Stop Believing, Crazy That's Train. Fine. Country it's Road so- doesn't happen at every sporting guess event. What? When so it makes happens, it unique. Guess what? When it happens at every sporting event, it means that it works. No, it just means you're going back to what everybody else does. Okay, well, if you don't like that one, you're going to love this one. 
Nelly's. And pick your poison with this. You can do the EI song. You can do hot in here. Whatever you need to do. E-I-E-I-O? No, that's that's not the one I'm going with here. But oh. no, like EI. I don't know that one. Underlay, underlay, mama. Yeah, you know that one. Believe me. Well, maybe you don't. That one would work perfect. And then the number one for me on this one, living on a prayer. I can't use everywhere. Doesn't matter. It does matter. What's more impactful with it is about the singing along. It's not so much the damn song. Yeah, but I want something that a lot of other people don't do at a sporting event. Four of those five, except for maybe Nelly there, are at other sporting events. And send yours in. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Because I'm sure people are going to say, oh, no, I got a better idea on song. That's fine. Anything other than country roads. No. It's terrible. And a lot of, I'm surprised we're getting a lot of people that are agreeing, but we're also getting ones that are telling me that I am so dumb with this. Country Roads is a great crowd sing-along. Also, if you remember how this started, it was by accident. Again, yeah, it's like you're at karaoke at a bar That's fine. and it just pops up. That's fine, but there is nothing about Country Roads that gets you pumped up in a third period at a hockey game. Nothing about it. But like... I just don't want something that everybody else does. Nelly, fine, I could get behind that because Nelly's a St. Louisan. I can't get behind living on a prayer. Don't stop believing. Look, I love the songs. Trust me. I can get behind all all of those. Well, of course you can. You built I put the, the damn list. Five. I put the damn list. Crazy T-Bone Three. I, I tell you what, Crazy Train would be good. Crazy Train would be really but it good. It happens everywhere. Crazy Train doesn't. You need something. It happens at other sporting events. Yeah. You need something that other places won't do. And I get it. Mellow, maybe that's not your thing. But find at least another hip-hop or rock song that other places don't use that often that we could put in that spot if you're going to get rid of Country Roads. Terrible song. Needs to go. Get rid of it. Great song. Someone texted in and said, would you rather have Country Roads or Sweet Caroline? I'd rather have Country Roads over Sweet Caroline. I I can't stand Sweet Caroline. But I don't know. We got to come up with something else. I could probably get behind Sweet Caroline. Yeah. Another classic. People keep saying bring back Gloria. No, unfortunately, that that left when the Blues won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. All right. Well, True. I may have picked, ticked off a lot of people, but yeah, to, tried to came vent. up with better songs than that. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, can this Cardinals team from last year win this season? And I'm talking about the offense. We'll get into that in 15. But coming up next, Jordan Bennington returned And Charlie Lindgren seems to have been the guy that, well, might be giving the Blues the best chance to win as of now. Does that continue? We'll get to that next year on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. How do you take this guy out when he's playing as well as he is? I don't know. We've got to think about things, you know. We'll figure it out. That was Craig Berube after the Friday victory against the Dallas Stars. Welcome back to BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN with Tanner Hendrickson. I am Alex Ferrario. And Bennington got the start yesterday against the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, Craig Berube said going into that game that what played in the decision, one, was you got to get the guy reps at some point. And two, If you go back and look at his game against Winnipeg, that was his best game of the season for St. Louis. I mean, he was he was as solid as a goaltender can be. The team not playing well in front of him, forcing overtime, going to a shootout and him shutting the door on the shootout. 
So that's what went in the decision of Jordan Bennington. And look, if those games weren't postponed on Tuesday or Thursday, I, I truly believe he was going to start one, if not two of those three games. I was just a little surprised that it was the Sunday game that they went right to him. And it was mostly because Charlie Lindgren has been playing so well. And I think the question that you asked me, Tanner, was, has Bennington lost the starting job temporarily? Let's not confuse this for, has he lost being the starter for the Blues? We're trading him. No, we're not trading him. for Ferrario, official stamp of approval. Army, get that, it done. That never happened. Never happened. But has he lost the starting job temporarily? That's a question that I do think you have to at least dig a little deeper into. Because when you brought Jordan Bennington up in the 2018-2019 season, you needed a spark. Bennington provided it. He came in. I think his first game was actually a shutout. And then from there, it was against Philly, his first game where he picked up the shutout. And then from there, the Blues went on that incredible run, and he took over the playing time from Jake Allen. I think as of right now, you look at Charlie Lindgren, and again, circumstances are different now, T-Bone, because... If they would have continued to play, I probably would have said you got to go back to Charlie Lindgren. But because now that there's this gap eight days uh, between or seven days between them playing again, and that might be up in jeopardy now because the New Jersey Devils just announced they're postponing their stuff until after the holidays because they have guys on the COVID protocol list. Oh, great. But let's go down the hypothetical path. You play in the Monday game against the New Jersey Devils. I think in that sense, I'm going to go back to Jordan Bennington. But if they were to play tomorrow or Thursday, I do think you have to consider going back to Charlie Lindgren at some point. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they will ultimately end up going back to Bennington on Monday because he's going to get more practice time in and maybe a little bit of the the, uh, timing, the vision that's going to come along with it and just kind of seeing some action in terms of seeing some pucks shot at him in practice will help him a little bit out. I'm with you, though. I think if if we're talking about where the Blues were playing tomorrow in Ottawa, I think you would be going back to Charlie Lindgren playing the hot hand. But with this basically week off here because of the Christmas break and then the COVID postponements, I think the Blues have to look at it as if both guys are starting fresh. And we'll, we'll see how that ultimately turns out. Because with a week off, we'll see how Charlie Lindgren comes out and plays. He could, you know, he could have been this hot going 5 0 first Blues goalie in franchise history because he was getting constant playing time. But with a week off, maybe that changes things just a little bit enough to kind of switch the conversation. If I'm the Blues, I give Bennington the start on Monday if you play against the New Jersey Devils. And then depending on how he looks, then I'll go from there and make the decision. But Bennington is the number one guy. Can you pull up that Robert Bortuzzo cut again, T-Bone? Um, I will say this. The best thing for the Blues is to have competition. And I'm not talking about a goalie controversy. I'm talking about competition. When you have a guy who plays well and deserves to get shots in the net and then you have your number one guy, guess what? Both guys are trying to compete. Both guys are trying to prove that they deserve the net. And that makes for a really good situation for a hockey team. But the reason, and so many people are texting this in saying, I can't believe you guys are even talking about this. There's no goalie controversy. Bennington's the guy. Lindgren did his job. Whatever you may look at it as. We're talking about it because Charlie Lindgren is the first Blues goaltender to win his first five games in his first five starts. We're talking about it because Charlie Lindgren has given up more than three goals, three or more goals, zero times in his five starts against some decent opponents. Dallas twice. Uh, The Florida Panthers, where I know he only played the third period in overtime, but he stopped three shots. We're talking about it because I found this comment from Robert Portuzo very interesting. I get the sense, you know, he's a bit of a gamer. He plays with intensity, and I think that resonates with our group. We appreciate that. Um, He's brought a ton of great energy to the room, and 
you know, comes to the rink with a smile on his face, and he's always, you know, lifting guys up in the room and, you know, giving guys taps on the shin pads. In a team environment, that stuff goes a long way. And, uh, you know, we're enjoying playing in front of him, and we're doing everything we can, blocking shots and trying to play hard in front of him. So, um, and he's played hard behind us. So it's, you know, just been a great relationship there. And, you know, he seems like a bit of a character who's, who's just fit in you know nicely with our group and seems to be high, enjoying himself which you see guys that enjoy coming to the rink it, it you know goes a long way towards uh you know having a good feeling in the locker room so when you got a guy like that who's bringing the energy and getting people excited and pumped up to play games and the crowds behind him I mean, I just don't know how you can go away from it. And again, I'm not talking goalie controversy, but I am talking about riding the hot hand. And I think for, and again, all of this is a moot point now because you aren't playing games until Monday. And by then you're talking about a healthy roster, but it just, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where you sit here and say, okay, Charlie, thanks. You did your job. You're going back down to the minors. Now that Huso's back. That's the other interesting conversation. And T-Bone bite your lip on this one, man. Cause it's going to hurt. What do, you, say what do you do with Ville Husso? Uh He plays on this team somehow. Are we sure? Because yes. look, he's activated from his IR. You got two goalies who are both unrestricted free agents after this season. You got two goalies who are looking to play themselves into a NHL team slash more money. Both are making the minimum at $750,000. Ville Husso has played well for the Blues. Charlie Lindgren has played whatever the definition of above well would be. Excellent, fantastic, superb, wherever you want to go with this. He's been awesome. I do think that either way, somebody's going to go down to the AHL and somebody's going to have to go through waivers. It comes down to who do you feel like is going to have more of a future with your team slash is there any legitimate interest in the goaltender on the trade market because Charlie Lindgren is not 34 years old and out of his prime. He's 27 years old. Now I understand Ville Husso's younger. Ville Husso might have a brighter future, but I think you have to weigh who is the better option for you in terms of the future. I I think right now, and this is the tough spot for the blues, but whenever Husso is available to come back, it has to be Charlie Lindgren that goes down. And I know that's a tough thing to say. And if you fear you're going to lose him on waivers, you have to potentially look at the trade market and see if you could move him just for future considerations, kind of like what they did with the John Gillies when they were able to gain an asset from it. I think you have to look at kind of the same thing if you're the St. Louis Blues for uh, Charlie Lindgren, if you're going to keep Ville Husso on the roster, because if he, I think he's going to reach the 10-day threshold where he'll have to clear waivers. If I'm the Blues, to me, it's Ville Husso. I think he provides more for you in the future. He he has shown he's a legitimate number two goaltender, and he's younger. And I think younger is the biggest thing here is because I get it. Charlie Lindgren's played very well in five games, but because he's older and because he has NHL experience in the past with the Montreal Canadiens, he almost feels like that goaltender that's really just kind of hit this hot spurt, and then you just don't know when it will fizzle out. And I don't want to trade away a solid goaltender in Ville Husso or put him down in the minors when I know that he's going to be a – solidified number two guy going to play consistent hockey for me when I've got uh, Charlie Lindgren, who I just feel like is kind of a flash in the pan. It's only a year younger. It's only 26. Lindgren's 27 years old. Still matters. Ages. I, I, I mean, I guess when it does. you're 20, you can't drink, but when you're 21, you can hit the bar. <laughs> I guess that's very true. Nothing happens on your 20th birthday. Um, but it comes down to protecting assets here. And in my opinion, who do you feel like won't get claimed on waivers? 
I think either is going to be a really tough scenario where you have to clear them through waivers, especially as a goalie who's been playing well. The tough part for me, and somebody texted in and said, uh, come on, man, it's only a five-game sample size for Charlie Lindgren. You know what Bennington did in his first five games in 2018-2019 season? Shut out, one goal allowed, one goal allowed, two goals allowed, two goals allowed. There was a loss in there. Seems very familiar considering you got a guy, one goal allowed, one goal allowed, one goal allowed, two goals allowed, zero goals allowed. He is legitimately the same player as what Jordan Bennington was. They're not the same player in terms of what they are for the Blues, but it was the same outcome. Providing the same spark and providing the same kind of goaltending. And when you get a comment like that from Robert Bortuzzo where they talk about liking the guy, and again, please don't read into that comment saying, oh, well, Bennington's a problem. No, he's not a problem. People love Jordan Bennington. Ryan O'Reilly even talked about it after the game, saying like, look, we wish we could have done more for him for what he's had to go through. But for Charlie Lindgren... I do think you should consider looking at Ville Husso and seeing, is there anything out there? Does he help me get that top four defenseman that we desperately need? And you have Charlie Lindgren, who's still there for you. It, it, it's a tough decision to make. I still think Husso's the guy because, again, I'm just, I, I just read Lindgren. And maybe I would have been saying the same thing with uh, Jordan Bennington back in 19 when he got called up and made his first five starts. But Bennington was a younger guy at the time, too. I mean, he was kind of a... I don't even know if he was a prospect, but he was younger than what Charlie Lindgren is. Lindgren's kind of the – this is going to sound like I'm taking a shot at Charlie Lindgren, and I'm not, but he's kind of the recycled player that's gone – you know, he had his time in the Montreal system, came up, had his opportunity, didn't go well, and then he's kind of circled back towards this minor league phase in his career where he's with the St. Louis Blues. And to me, that seems to be more of a guy that I view as a flash in the pan rather than a Ville Husso who has come up – this is his second year at the NHL level and his first stint with a NHL hockey club when he was with the Blues and in their minor league system. And he's kind of developed into, at least in the first, I think, six games. He's 3-2, or seven games, 3-2-1, and has a 2.46 goals against and a 9.20 save percentage. To me, I look at him and say, okay, he's more of a guy that I'm developing into a number two goaltender, not so much this flash in the pan that is a guy that we signed off away or signed in the offseason, and our general manager didn't even know who he was. He got told of him by a goaltending coach down the minor leagues. Exactly. And we got a text asking, you know, doesn't uh, Lindgren not have to clear waivers? So here is what I'm understanding. When a player is on emergency recall, the same eligibility for waivers applies to a standard recall. 10 games, 30 days, that applies. So if he plays 10 games or is with the team for 30 days, then he gets sent back down and has to go through waivers. If it's less than 10 games, less than 30 days, then he doesn't have to clear waivers. So that might have played into this, the decision on not playing Lindgren on Sunday, which now it doesn't matter because you're not going to be playing those games. I don't know how many days he has been up here, though. I'll have to look at that. But um, if he's at the 30 day, days threshold, or if Lind- if Huso's not ready to, pl- to be up here before 10 games, then Lindgren has to clear waivers. At least that's where we're at on this one. So with that understanding, Logan Brown would have to clear waivers. Yikes. Some tough decisions coming up for the Blues. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll get to in or out coming up in 15 minutes. So send your scenarios over to us on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up next, though, can the Cardinals take last year's lineup and win in the NL Central for this coming year? It's something Katie Wu proposed on her weekly chat on The Athletic. T-Bone and I will discuss next here on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN.
Okay, so we'll get into Cardinals in a moment, but uh, so we've kind of looked through this. I looked a little more into this. So crunching the numbers. Yeah, so Charlie Lindgren, 30 days with the NHL club. And if you missed it, we talked about the waiver eligibility for these emergency loan players. If you're on emergency loan, you require waivers if you're eligible for waivers. If you've played 10 games or you have stayed with the team for 30 days. So in Logan Brown's case, he's played 10 games. And from what I've looked at on spot track and a couple of others, Logan Brown has surpassed the waiver eligibility. So he is eligible for waivers. If the blues were to send him down, Charlie Lindgren has only played five games. 30 days for Charlie Lindgren would be January 2nd, at least from my understanding. So I believe at least looking at this, he would not be required to go through waivers for the Blues if they sent him down and he doesn't play 10 games or he's here prior to January 2nd. So after January 2nd, then they would have to send him through waivers. And for guys like Dakota Joshua, Nathan Walker, those players, they don't require waivers because they're two-way deals. So that's at least what you're looking at right now for the Blues scenarios, which kind of tells you a little bit more into what they would have to do with these roster decisions. So that's kind of where we're at with this one. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this on the crossover if we've got Jamie Rivers in here. But let's switch over to baseball. Katie Wu had her chat on The Athletic in her mailbag, and a lot of the mailbags were talking about impact bats and bringing in offensive upgrades for this St. Louis Blues team. And this Blues? Oh, God, I'm sorry. St. Louis Blues. We've been talking about it so much. This the St. Louis Cardinals I mean, team. I bet Schwarber could be a top four defenseman. I, I think Schwarber could be a defenseman. I think he could be a goaltender for you. Actually, goaltending's probably Why not spot. add more goalies to the conversation yeah. here? But, no, I think Katie has convinced both of us, T-Bone, that this team's not adding an impact bat. So this is a dark, sad day. I know it kind of is. Well, there's also the lockout going on. So it makes things worse. So this is what Katie said in her mailbag. Kyle Schwarber, Mitch Moreland, Nelson Cruz are likely to garner interest from multiple teams, but those external options will come at a cost And the front office has already prioritized relief pitching as its next pursuit. Once baseball resumes, there's also no concern that an external addition would block talent like Gorman and Yepes. The Cardinals are confident that they have internal talent to carry the possession, the position, and always reevaluate around the trade deadline. She also talked about the talent coming through the system. The front office does not expect to continue monitoring the free agent market once baseball resumes and are likely to acquire at least one more reliever, but the talent coming in from the minor league pipeline is a factor in why John Mozeliak wasn't more aggressive early on regarding positions like shortstop and starting pitching. So Katie Wu talking about that in her mailbag on The Athletic. That really does sound like that this team's not even looking at a bat at all and is strictly saying, hey, if we get a bench back, great. If not, oh, well, we're going with the relief pitching here. And I know we've talked about this, but it does feel like a little bit more so after hearing Katie speak about it in her mailbag uh, that this Blues team's not even going to consider adding. Did it again, didn't I? The Blues. Maybe. The the Cardinals aren't even going to consider an addition to the offensive side. Yeah, it, it almost sounds like they're kind of on the side of, okay, let's see what the young guys have, which I, I'm all for that. I'm okay with that, except, you know, it's kind of the story of what you had last year was we think we got the pitching depth, we think we got the young guys ready to go, and and they weren't ready to go. And what happened was when all the injuries occurred, it proved itself. And it's a gamble, that that is for sure. It's a gamble, and we'll see if it ends up being the right decision by the Cardinals. I do think Juan Yepes is going to be a contributor to uh, the major league club. Now, will he be able to do it this year in his first time? 
excuse me, his first time seeing major league action. We'll see. Nolan Gorman, I think he's going to be a really good player, but they seem, I, I like the idea of Gorman being on this team come opening day. The Cardinals seem to view him as heading to Memphis to start the season to fine tune the back end of his skills in terms of whether it be defense, offense, and then call him up around June, July. Also, let's be honest, there might be time manipulation there, but we'll see. I, I think they need to add an impact bat, and I think the clear spot for them to do it was shortstop, but they clearly had no intentions of doing so. So they're basically going to say, okay, let's go into the year with the same lineup we had. Let's hope Paul DeYoung can kind of regain some of his form if he's going to be a starting shortstop or DH. And then let's see if Carlson can maybe take the next step. Let's see if Bader continues to take the next step, and we'll see if the offense grows from there. I don't mind it, and then we'll see what the young guys have. But I, I do believe they need to find the impact bat if they want to be viewed viewed as the NL Central favorites. They may believe they're the NL Central favorites, but to me, on paper right now, they're still behind the Milwaukee Yeah, Brewers. this is what Katie Wu projected for the lineup next season. Tommy Edmond at second, Goldschmidt first, O'Neill left, Arenado third, Carlson right, Molina behind the plate, Paul DeYoung as the DH, Bayer at center, and Sosa at short. That's just That's not a team, in my opinion, that can win a World Series. And... You know, we've heard Ali Marmal talk about how that's the goal with Wayno and Yachty's final year. That's the goal every year. I understand not wanting to block the young players and giving them the opportunities that are in front of them, but you, you're playing a lot of let's see, and I don't think you can do that in a year where you want to compete. If this was two years ago where you're saying, yeah, you know, we're transitioning into this, then yeah, I'm okay with the let's see because you got to give them the opportunity. But I just don't know if you go into a season where you have Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and possibly an MVP candidate and Tyler O'Neill. You've added to your pitching staff. You've uh, increased your defense. I don't know if you've if you've improved in every area except your offense. I just don't know if you can play the let's see game with these younger guys. Yeah, and two, there's a we got a text here from I believe this is the two oh six. The kids did prove themselves. The outfield was all kids. Yeah, but the outfield had multiple years to do so. And let's be honest, the Cardinals weren't really in this. Yeah, you weren't competing window. with Bader getting the shots out there, yeah. or Tyler O'Neill, or Dylan Carlson. The thing for me that that is difficult with this is because I understand what the texts are saying. Well, the outfield is kids, and they were, took the step forward next year. Dylan Carlson's really the only kid in that outfield. Bader and O'Neill are kind of guys that have had big league experience for a couple of years and just happen to finally find that rhythm and get into finding themselves and feeling confident and taking that step at the big league level. We're talking about guys like Nolan Gorman who hasn't seen major league pitching at all yet in his big league career. Uh, Juan Yepes, the same story. You're asking those two guys to kind of be these contributing bats to a lineup that let's be honest, didn't do a whole lot until that 17-game winning streak. I mean, we talked about the offense a lot before that and how much it had struggled along with the pitching. Now, with that being said, I I can kind of take the opposite side of what I'm saying here because I do believe they need an impact bat, and I like seeing young kids, but I think the impact bat is more for because of this winning window. Look, the Blues did the exact same thing here. We were talking about, do you move a Robert Thomas? Do you move a Jordan Cairo yeah. to go get a veteran-established player? Because you they can didn't sit there with it. Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford and keep saying, well, we want to see if these guys turn out to be top six wingers. And the Blues the Blues said, no, we're, we have faith in our young guys that they'll develop and take the next step. And they were right. And I questioned that decision heading into the year because they were in this winning window. I'm doing the exact same thing with the Cardinals. We'll see if they end up proving me wrong and Gorman and Yepes can just make an immediate impact. I love these back-to-back texts on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 from the 636. That team with all the pitching injuries won 90 games, huh? They can't win with that lineup? 
And then from the 314, Bayer found a rhythm for one season. I don't get the hype. Those two coincide, in my opinion, because of this. Yeah, that team won 90 games last year with all of the pitching injuries. But we all remember what happened in June where we were sitting there going, this team is not going to be making the playoffs for how they've been performing. And then you had an amazing historical stretch run late in the season. You're basically doing what you did last year and hoping that what happened last year for multiple players is going to happen again. Let me ask you this. If O'Neill's not the MVP candidate that we all think he could be, if Edmundo Sosa doesn't carry over his offense that he did last year, if Paul DeYoung continues his struggles, are you really going to rely on those three beat bats not being there for you and saying, well, but we got Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, and Lars Nupar? Because those three don't coincide with each other. I know you want to see it, but it doesn't seem like for that first year where they are everyday Major League Baseball players, doesn't seem like they're going to fill that gap. And I think the frustrating part, at least for me, and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of our texters will view this the same way, is it's not like we're talking about, okay, they need a fourth uh fourth outfield bat and they're not they're not willing to go sign it because they have an internal option. Maybe okay, that is kind of something that they may look at, but I they believe in Lars Newbar. But what I'm saying here is that if you had an internal option that fails for a fourth outfield spot, it's a lot easier to go and acquire that at the trade deadline rather than looking for the impact bat. I mean, that's kind of what we've talked about this whole time, right? Is Well, here's why you should go sign this guy, because you're not going to go find these guys on the trade market. I mean, sure, a Jose Ramirez might be available come the trade market if you're still looking for an impact bat, but he's going to cost a lot compared to, in terms of giving up assets, they're going to be looking for some of your top prospects, like a, a Von Herrera, a Zach Thompson, a Matthew Libertor. You don't want to give up those guys. The Cardinals made it pretty clear they don't want to give up their top six prospects. So you're already hampering yourself at the trade deadline. And I understand there's budgeting involved with this as well. But to me, it is find that impact bat on the free agent market because you're going to be able to find it there. And it's going to be a lot tougher at the deadline when you're going to be kind of hand-strung with in terms of handing out prospects that you don't want to trade away. Yeah, well, all this doesn't matter until the lockout stops. <laughs> oh, there's a lockout going Who on? knows when that's going to happen? He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll cross things over with the fast lane in about 15, but coming up next on the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. It's in or out here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. God, I'm just frankly excited for BK to come back so I don't have to hear that it's anymore. It's so cold here, I couldn't do it. God, stop whining over there, man. Man, you or BK can't handle the cold. No, well, it's plain and simple. But then when they, I can the air, cold, but when I'm in a natural environment, it's supposed to be nice and warm. But then when the air it. conditioning breaks, everyone freaks out because it's super hot. Says a guy who had to go out in the hallway. Oh yeah, I had to take so a much. walk with that one. Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. It is our in or out segment. Send us your in or out scenarios to that Air Comfort Service text line at six five seven eight zero. Let's start with this, boys. In or out, the Blues have a healthy roster come January first in the Winter Classic against Minnesota. I'll say I'm in on this. It seems like a lot of those guys went <laughs> on the, if the Winter Classic happens. Oh, negative energy. <laughs> I love the Winter Classic. <laughs> I, uh, I'll i say I'm in on this. It seems like a lot of those guys are skating with the team. Shen was on the – or no, we don't know about Shen. Sorry. Shen's the one that uh, we don't know about. Thomas. Kyrou, Kyrou Perron, Perron, Husso, and Wallman. 
we're all skating and we're on yeah. the road trip. So I'll say in Shane will probably be the one guy that I'll leave out on this. But for the most part, I think the Blues will be healthy. So yeah, I'll I'm going to say in on this one as well. Um, I even think now it depends on how you look at fully healthy, because I don't think James Neal will be back. It sounds like he had a setback, so they may be keeping him on LTIR longer. Um, but if you, if you don't consider him and put it at a healthy roster, I'd say I'm in on this because I think you'll see Thomas, Cairo, Perron back for the first Blues game back after the holidays. Maybe Wallman and Huso. And then I think it comes down to Braden Shen. And they might take their time with him since he came back from his other injury. And then this one, this one had nothing to do with his prior injury, according to Craig Berube. So uh, he's the one I'm not sure about, but I'll say I'm in. I, I'll say I'm in on this one because I, I think they'll be back to full strength, which will be an awesome matchup against the Minnesota Wild if you have a fully healthy Blues roster and a fully healthy Minnesota Wild roster because you got two of the best teams right now in the Central Division going head to head. In or out on the Air Comfort Service text line is six five seven eight zero. In or out, boys. The Green Bay Packers will be in the Super Bowl this year for the NFC. I'll start this one, T Bone. With the news from Tampa Bay, where Adam Schefter just reported that Chris Godwin is done for the year, torn ACL, uh, I don't believe we've heard anything from the Leonard Fournette side of things. And I think I, I saw seen anything on Evans. Either. Schefter just put something out on Mike Evans, this strained hamstring. He's week to week and has a chance to play Sunday. Now, they still have Rob Gronkowski. They still have, uh, I believe, Antonio Brown is going to be coming back according to Bruce Arians next week. But if you don't have Fournette, Evans, and Godwin, I think I'm going to bet this one for Green Bay. I'm still not sold on their defense, but I think I'm going to be in on this, that Green Bay is going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. I know Tom Brady's Tom Brady, but the defense is not the same. That defense can't win you a football game like they did last year. Yeah, I think I'm because I do like Green Bay. I, I think I'm going to go out, though, because I, I still kind of have faith in Tom Brady being able to do that. I know the defense, as you mentioned, just hasn't been playing uh, the same, but I think Tom Brady, the way he's played, he's putting up MVP caliber numbers. He's probably going to win the MVP. I think he can win you a football game, even without those weapons, because how many times near that end, the end of his tenure in New England did we say, wow, they've got no wide receivers, and Tom Brady was still able to win and get to the playoffs. Now, he never won the Super Bowl. I guess he did. I don't know if they had a top wide out when they beat Atlanta. I guess he had Edelman. Uh, but I think I'm out. I think I would take Tampa Bay. Or you mentioned Green Bay's defense. You're not sold on them. Look out for Dallas then. If we're not sold on uh, Green Bay's defense and Tampa's defense, look at Dallas as a team. They've yep. got the offensive weapons. Defensively, they've got the defensive player of the year, potentially, and rookie of the year, and uh, Micah Parsons. So, I, I think I would look at Dallas or Tampa Bay, just kind of take the field rather than settle in on Green Bay. Air Comfort Service text line 65780 in or out from the 618. Tyler Huntley will be a full-time starter somewhere in the NFL in the next two seasons. I think I'm going to be in on this. He's played pretty well in his two games filling in for Lamar Jackson. He came into the other game injured. Quarterback or, controversy? No, no. <laughs> this is kind of like the Mike Glennon controversy where it's like, oh, yeah, he played pretty yeah, well as a backup. He and, was great. Then he got the big deal and was terrible. I, I've i liked what I've seen from him. The problem is, is you'd have to build an offense around him like what the Ravens have because he can run. He's not that great in terms of throwing the football, but I think he would be a guy that somebody will consider giving a shot to, maybe as a bridge gap kind of guy. I'm trying to think if there's a team that's in, like the Giants 
let's be honest the giants there's no quarterbacks really in this draft that to me really stand out as franchise altering quarterbacks frankly i'd put him in the panthers yeah, Panthers would be another good I mean, one. I mean, throw he's, him there or he's throw better him than into. Newton. He's better than Sam Darnold, and I don't think you're going to get anything on the free agent market. Yeah, so I think somebody will give him a shot. That's why I say I'm in on it. I'm not saying he's going to be a top 10, top 15 quarterback, but somebody will probably give him a shot. Yeah, I mean, I'm out on this. Someone will give him a shot, but it's not going to last. I mean, I think this is just one of those things where you get a couple of good games from him, and then you're like, well, okay, I think he's a he's a glorified backup quarterback, and he's a good quarterback for the backup position. I mean, very much so like um, the former Jacksonville guy. What's his name? Now with Philly. Oh, Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew. Thank you. I kept thinking Thor, but that's the nickname. Yeah, Gardner Minshew. Like, I think that's what Tyler Huntley is essentially is. Yeah, I, I think somebody would just give him a shot to go for a year as a starter, maybe two. Kind of like uh, Mike Glennon was the one I brought up. Let's not forget Nick Foles. I mean, let's not forget Nick Foles won a Super Bowl as a backup. And what happened? Jacksonville said, How can that's we? the franchise guy. <laughs> and then it was like, no, he's not. He just got hot at the right time and in the right system. In or out, Air Comfort Service text line 65780 from the 314. In or out, the New Orleans Saints will be a playoff team. I hope so, because T-Bone's got money on them. <laughs> I've bought into one preseason game. What do you got money on them? Winning the Super Bowl? Because you're going to yeah. lose money. Yeah. You're going to lose money. Actually, I don't know if it's Super Bowl or the conference. You just bet on them making the playoffs. I think that would have been a decent bet. Probably would have been the smarter one. But I was um, in Vegas, and you know I'll say I'm in on this, because I, I don't... Without Taylor Heineke, I, I mean, maybe they can win this week against Philly, but... I don't know if Washington gets in. The one that I still just don't know about is Minnesota. I, I just don't know what Minnesota is. And I think Minnesota is really the only legitimate threat to the Saints. I don't know if the Eagles are. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not sure Washington is. And it doesn't seem like the Falcons or the Seahawks are going to be catching the Saints right now. So I'll say I'm in on this because I don't know if there's anybody else that can catch them other than Minnesota. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to say I'm in on this as well because the Saints defense has played pretty well I mean they put up a clinic last night shutting out Tom Brady he had been shut out in like 200 some consecutive starts I mean it was incredible and they got pressure on him like how many teams do you see just rush four and are able to get into the face of Tom Brady not many I I don't think the offense is good enough because of Taysom Hill he just doesn't seem like the quarterback he's dealing with the finger injury too but they can run the ball with Alvin Kamara Hill can run the ball. They did that pretty well last night. And then the defense to me is going to be what kind of gets them into the playoffs. I don't think their offense is good enough, but their defense can carry the load. Yeah. In or out, Nico Mikola looks like a legitimate top four defenseman for the Blues. Oh, man. I'll start. I'm in. I'm 100% Are in on in this. in enough to where you won't go get a defenseman at the deadline? Uh, I'm in enough to where I don't need to get a top pairing defenseman. Then I don't know if I need a defenseman. I don't know if I do either. And it all resides on Marco Scandella. If Marco Scandella can play up to the potential you need him on that third pairing. I'm in on this. Now, look, it's green. I mean, you're you're really taking a chance on Nico Mikola if you're doing that. But how else are you going to get that experience? And watching he and Colton Pareko play when they are at their best, like those two games against the Dallas Stars, it reminds me a lot of Jay Bomeister and Colton Pareko from a couple of years ago. The, the, the stick reach. And you know what that has that... Bowmeister and Pareko didn't have the nastiness to it because Nico Mikola plays with some edge. Now, the problem is he takes some penalties. I don't know if he's going to be a top four defenseman ever in the National Hockey League. I mean, that's tough to imagine, but I do think with his size, with his nastiness and his offensive ability, I think you're looking at somebody who fills that void more so than you having to go out and make a trade. I'm going to say I'm out for now. I do agree. He's been playing very well with Colton Pareko. 
But the thing that you mentioned, he's very green is the reason I'm still out on it. Now, if he can put it together as we get about a week or two from the trade deadline and he's still played like this, then I'll be in it. I'll say the Blues probably don't have to make a move. And honestly, they may not even have anything to do with the trade deadline. Yeah. Harmon could probably go to Florida and sit on the beach for a little bit, just take some vacay. But for now, I'm going to say I'm out on it because it's just so green and it's, it could just be a small, like we've talked about with Charlie Lindgren. Is it a flash in the pan or is this legitimate? I'm not sure yet, and that's why I can't buy in right now. To me, the Blues still need a top four defenseman, so I'm going to say I'm out. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next here on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. the fast lane they will take you from two until six o'clock tonight anthony stalter jamie rivers no brad thompson today so it's just the uh stalter and rivers duo on the fast lane yeah so bt is off for the next couple of days and then uh jamie and i have some time off so this is this is gonna be it's a it's that time of year yeah end of the year holiday holiday season that's what's gonna happen with this one but it's still gonna be an exciting show and stalter this is your bread and butter my man no hockey no baseball whoa i love hockey and baseball you're a huge sharks fan though and the sharks are in COVID protocol and the giants aren't doing anything right now so you just don't have anything to talk about there's plenty to talk about. Other than football. Bowl season, NFL every day of the week. By the way, can we bowl season? Oregon State, you let me down the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. I'm sorry. I just had to get that off my chest. You, you laid the points yeah. with, the, with the Beavers? Minus yeah. seven. I love it when he lays the points. You know, they, I, I said they laid an egg against Oregon, but I thought they had a shot Would you go this? Would you go you one, one, and, one and three? I'm 0 and or two one? so far. Oh. We still got two more games. Poor BK. Is BK... Sending in his picks? No, we didn't. We we gave him this time off because I don't even think he's been doing the one on one pick'em challenge on the honeymoon. Oh, really? I think it's just been honeymoon focus. So have you? So who's kind of leading I, things? I'm up. We don't have to. I think I'm up only by. I was up on BK last week, like uh, maybe four or five wins. I mean, he was close. T Bone's so far behind. I, I don't even remember the last time I had a winning week. I mean, that, so what's going on, Tebow? What, what's the what's the thought process? Tebow just needs to stay away from betting. He I bet think, on the Saints yeah. to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, did you? Yeah, <laughs> I remember. Remember after they had that one really good preseason game, I was like, man, Winston, he's oh figured it out. <laughs> one preseason, and then I just game. happened to go back to Vegas, Vegas the next week, and you know, <laughs> I had money to spend before I left, and you know what happens? Vegas stays in Vegas, and well, that money's going to be staying in Vegas because it ain't coming back with me. Okay, so who was your picks then? You had you had Oregon State. I had Oregon State, Lane Seven, and they failed. I had who else did I have? Well, I they didn't a, even win out. No, they didn't even. No, they lost by like ten. They didn't even make that had, close. Oh, I had the Broncos covered against the Bengals because I wasn't sold on them, and you know. Yeah, and then you had the Packers minus five and a half at the. Oh Ravens. yeah, that was the other one. The Packers <sighs> didn't cover that one. I figured with Lamar that they they'd be able to cover that easily. Yeah. yeah. Stultz personally. I love John Harbaugh being aggressive, mm-hmm. but two weeks in a row, I mean, that may have just ruined your playoff chances. Well, you know, the, the other thing here, too, is is that in the, at the start of – Brandon Staley did this, too, with the Chargers on, on Thursday night. You, you, get a, you get a long drive. You know, the Ravens come out. They get a long drive. They eat up a bunch of clock, and then they go for it on fourth down in the first quarter. They don't, they don't make it. So now you're sitting there in the fourth, and, and you're saying, well, boy, he was aggressive. Why not kick the field goal in the first quarter? You know why? Why? Why aren't teams more teams compiling points? Right. And I think the further we get away from, 
you know, just the idea of, hey, high score still wins, I think the worse off we are. I think if you're a bad team and you're not driving the ball, that is when you need to go for, you know, go for go for uh, two or go for, um, you know, the end zone as opposed to settling for a field. But the Chargers were moving the ball up and down the field and the Chiefs all night. There's no reason to go forward on fourth down four times. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're the Jets and you don't know if you're going to be back down there in a half hour. Or the Cardinals. <laughs> all right, go, go, go for it. Yeah, the Lions Cardinals, take advantage. Boy. How about no, that? We didn't even get to that. I'm sure you guys are going to talk about that today. What else you guys got on the fast lane? Well, we're going to we're going to talk a lot about the Blues. You yeah. know, the Bennington situation. Now, Bennington comes back. Blues lose yesterday. So we'll, we'll dive into that. Jamie's got some thoughts on Clem Costin. And really the goaltending situation on a whole. And then you've got the COVID situation yeah. basically killing the the rest of the the road trip for the blues so we'll get into that and then we got to get i mean tom brady again loses to the saints you've got the the cardinals big victory uh sorry the lions big victory over the cardinals you've got the patriots losing on saturday night how big you know are the colts legit so we got a lot to, lot to get to today. it's gonna be a fun one fast lane from two to six for tanner hendrickson and alex ferrario fast lane next year on 101 espm